With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Grillin' JR with the voice of wrestling, Mr. Jim Ross. Jim, how are you, man? Conrad, thanks for asking. I'm wonderful. I'm having my second cup of coffee. It's got a little Bailey's in it, so I feel pretty good about that. And uh, enduring the hot weather in Oklahoma. But the main thing that's on my mind right now is the fact that uh, as folks hear this, I should be in Chicago. I should at least be en route to Chicago, and I can't wait. I'm so excited about StarCast and All Out and seeing what kind of crowd we draw and, and all that good stuff. I can't wait. It's going to be a lot of fun here this weekend. I'm pretty fired up about today's topic in honor of CM Punk coming back. We're going to talk about the one and only CM Punk today. Jim, let's just start right at, right at the top here. When did you first hear about CM Punk? He, he feels like one of those guys that may have been on your radar as a name you had heard. Because he had a lot of buzz outside of WWE before he ever got signed. Yeah, CM Punk was a, a, a big top star there at Ring of Honor. Most fans realize and remember, uh, he he was their champion at, at various times. So I uh, kind of he got on my radar. I'd say around 2004, uh, and then he came to WWE in 2005. I want to believe that uh, my my run as the EVP of talent relations was over by that time. Uh, but it was pretty simple. You know, you go to ring of honor and you got much, not like any other promotion. You take their top guys, if you can get them and bring them in and, and mold them to your own image, if, if that's possible. So he was, uh, he was on the radar because he, a lot of the talents liked, uh, him because his work ethic and his, his in-ring stylings, uh, Phil Brooks, a very unique guy, as you know, inside and outside ring. We were talking about that, but a lot of the talents wanted to work with him. And I thought that was a pretty good recommendation, but, but then it was a pretty much a no brainer, uh, for Laurinaitis to bring uh, punk into WWE. He's, he was really one of the best talents in the world at that time. So, uh, that was a good hire. And, uh, but that around 2000, I'd say I really got more familiar with him around 2005 Conrad, you know, when he was. Of making that transition back out of ROH into WWE. 
Yeah. I think a lot of fans really start paying attention to him in ring of honor because, uh, he has a really sort of a landmark feud with Raven. I think that was like Oh three, maybe a four. I first saw him do a promo in 2004 for ring of honor and thought, Hey, I don't know what this is, but I'm in, uh, it was one of those really, really well done promos that you wonder, you know, how much of that is real and how much of that is story because he cut a, a pretty scathing promo on Raven and, and talked about Raven's addiction problems and compared it to his own father's addiction problems and explained that he was straight edge. And if I'm honest with you, that's really the first time I learned about straight edge and what that meant. Jim, when did you learn about the straight edge movement and CM Punk and, and how he had sort of woven that into not only part of his wrestling character, but his real life? Well, same as you, I, I, I watched a lot of ring of honor, especially in those days, because they had a, uh, not, they don't have a good roster. Now they do, but they had some, <clears throat> pardon me, some really significant talents, uh, on that roster at that time. Samoa Joe, Brian Danielson, Daniel Bryant, and, and others that I will leave out, uh, for no particular reason, but I forgot who the LA are. No, I'm kidding. Uh, they had a good roster. They had a lot of really strong talents that were wrestle wrestling centric. And that always appealed to me and punk fit right into that group. Uh, I'm like you, I heard his straight edge, uh, mantra the first time on a promo in, in ring of honor. And I, I, li- I like you, I was not as familiar with what, uh, straight edge really meant in total. Uh, and I also didn't know that, that it wasn't a gimmick. I said, well, this guy's got a unique, he's got a unique idea here to draw attention to himself. It's a nice way to you to do a promo. If you're a baby face or a heel, uh, it kind of made some sense. But then I found out later on, uh, right after he came to WWE, that this was no, no gimmick. There was no act. He believed in the straight edge lifestyle. He still does. And, uh, that was the way he lived his life. So, uh, it was a learning experience. And as we said, before we started recording, you know, he was a, uh, such a unique guy that I, uh, I'd never met a wrestler that I can recall of his prominence and skill set that was that, that was straight edge. All the boys would drink a beer every now and then, or go meet the hotel bar, whatever the case may be. And have a social, uh, but not him. That was not his deal. Uh, even though he's one of the most social guys in the roster, especially with the ladies, uh, he was, he just was not going to be doing any drinking and not going to doing any drugs. So I admired that. And for me as a former talent relations guy, getting him in the locker room with no, no baggage of that regard was a bonus. Well, you mentioned it, you know, we get lots of questions about this. You said, uh, and he's one of the most social guys there, especially with the ladies. Uh, you, you got any, uh, anything you want to elaborate on there? Well, I mean, he dated several women wrestlers there at WWE and, uh, you know, it's not secrets. He, he, I think he dated Beth Phoenix, uh, who's now married to edge. Uh, I can't remember all the other, uh, it was Raphael <laughs> Morphy and I were talking about that the other day, just on, on a trip. I mean, this, this dude got around, man. And he was very social, uh, and very much the ladies man. So, uh, and you know, more power to him, you know, Bula Bula for CM Punk, but he, the, he was a very social in that regard, but it was, a it, he was always social and he was never high. He was never drunk. He never buzzed. So, uh, but he did pretty good there. He had a nice social life. And then of course, uh, uh, ends up marrying his bride. And I always thought that she was extremely, uh, attractive, talented, complex, 
a character that you just couldn't help, but want to see more of. And, uh, so, you know, I, I, he, he just, his life has it's been a really interesting story. We're going to tell here today, but he was like, he's a unique dude, no doubt about it. And intriguing as hell to be around. And I think the fans are going to see that at, uh, Starcast. Uh, he's very, <clears throat> he's very, uh, opinionated and he's honest. So, you know, he may ruffle some feathers. I think I expect that he will uh, at Starcast, but I think it's going to be one of the more intriguing, uh, presentations that you're going to be bringing all the fans in this entire weekend. He's that good. He's been, he's been dormant. He's been silent. And I can tell you that it's just not his style to be silent. And I think Conrad, I, I was wondering, I was going to ask you a question. How hard was it to get him signed? Uh, yeah, it was, it was a process, you know, I don't think that he was necessarily looking to do anything, but over the course of, uh, uh, a few months of emailing back and forth, it felt like, you know, there was an opportunity and then it would go away for whatever reason, a few times. And, uh, I kind of thought it wasn't going to happen. And then very quickly a deal came together and, and we're excited to have him and, and the wrestling world is curious what he's got to say. You know, he's, uh, been silent for a long time. And, and I think everybody wants to hear more about what happened in the past, but what I think most people are, are interested in. And the question I'm sure he's going to get this weekend, no less than 500 times is what's next. Uh, because he, you know, sort of took a break from wrestling and, and did some MMA. And now hey, this is a, a, a very public appearance for him. And, and the first one of its sort, since he walked away from the WWE. So this is going to be different for sure. Yeah. It's going to make a lot of headlines. Yeah. His interview will be quoted, uh, ad nauseum in our world. And it'll also be interpreted. Yes. Uh, ad nauseum in our world. Well, here's what he really meant by all the amateur psychologists slash wrestling fans out there that are expert in, in mental health and psycholo- psychology, psychology. <clears throat> I say, when I, I say <clears throat> bullshit, but anyhow, uh, uh, it'll be fun and it will be be quoted. It'll be, a, it, there'll, there'll be nothing happen this weekend, uh, at Starcast that will top globally, the news and the, and the noise that CM Punk will make, uh, on Saturday. No, none. Uh, it's a, it's a great get for you. When you told me you signed him, I was static for you because to me, that kind of put the cherry on the Sunday for, for, uh, for Starcast. Starcast three, just, man, this is a get. And so congratulations to you on that deal. And like, like you said earlier, the folks can still see it. If you're not even going to be in Chicago, you can see it on the, on the fight app. So, uh, I, I encourage everybody to check that out all, all avenues of it, but there's nothing like being there. There's nothing like being there whatsoever. And, um, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad that I'm going to be there to hear it. I want to find me a spot in that, in that, sit down and listen to that interview. I, I'm, I'm very curious what he's got to say. So I'm, I'm, I'm pumped about it. Let's talk about, you know, his influence, uh, you know, and, and obviously CM Punk had a lot of great matches. And I think most hardcore CM Punk fans remember his trilogy of matches with Samoa Joe in 2004 for ring of honor, ring of honor had a bit of a scandal in, in 2004 and folks thought, Hey, this might be the end of ring of honor. And, uh, once they started to write the ship, they needed something to sort of pull the nose up and change the conversation about what people were talking about with the ring of honor and what Gabe put together, uh, was not one, not two, but three matches with CM Punk and Samoa Joe. And these were 
really, really outstanding matches that were on everybody's radar, especially Dave Meltzer's. And he gave them high marks across the board. If you had to go back in time, you know, obviously we know that punk is going to wind up in the WWE or signing with WWE in 2005. It's probably the trilogy with Samoa Joe in 04 that, that put him on WWE's radar. Would that be fair to say? Absolutely fair to say. Uh, it puts Samoa Joe on the radar too. So they helped each other because they had great chemistry. Uh, their matches were fought and presented in, with logic and physicality. Uh, they, they were, it was easier to suspend one's disbelief in, in the presentation because of those stylings that, uh, punk and Joe, uh, exhibited. So it was a, it was an eye opener for everybody, but they, they had Samoa Joe and, uh, CM Punk had just in my humble opinion, there was no better wrestling in 2004 on anybody's ring better than what we saw as fans from punk and Joe. So, uh, they did themselves both a great service helped each other quite frankly. And, uh, uh, but it was, a, those are, those are monumental matches. And it's sad that I, I think the DVD that they did on those cats was one of the best sellers, not the best seller that ring of honor had had at least to date to, at that time. So yeah, that Samoa Joe marriage was great booking and the talents obviously enjoyed working with each other. They were allowed the freedom to create and create in their own personal image and the way they felt, not the way a agent or a producer or a writer felt it was their ball game to manage. And I think given talents of that level, that opportunity generally gives you the best chance to have a, a, a hell of a match and a, and a, a keeper, so to speak. It's sort of interesting too his journey he takes before he winds up in the WWE because, and I think a lot of fans have probably forgotten this, but he was signed to impact. He was a part of, of TNA wrestling and was down there pretty regularly and routinely. And, uh, for whatever reason, they didn't do much with him. You know, he had the occasional spot on the big show, but he, he wound up being on their, uh, sort of prelim show explosion quite a bit. And it just wasn't. It maybe was a missed opportunity there. And, and at the time court Bauer was running, uh, MLW, this is before he, he shut down and took the long hiatus and before he relaunched and now is on TV, but the early days of MLW, he, uh, he's, he's working there for court as well. So between ring of honor and, and MLW and TNA, he sort of made the loop. I mean, he was everywhere before he comes into WWE and that's always, you know, the big time. And, and he grew up as a big Piper fan. That's one of his first memories. And I think there's an old photo of him floating around where he got to meet stone cold, Steve Austin, probably in around 1997, maybe 1996. And, uh, you can tell that, you know, he's just a huge wrestling fan and, and he's really attracted to the strong promo guys. And that's going to be the hallmark of CM Punk, not just the in-ring stuff, but his promo style. How would you, who would you compare him to on the microphone? Is there someone from wrestling yesteryear that you think, ah, Punk kind of reminds me of him. I always thought because of unpredictable nature, uh, and what you don't, you can't, you can't assume what he's going to say or what direction he's going to take. That he was, he reminded me, <clears throat> pardon me, a little bit of, uh, Terry Funk back in the day when he was a great heel <clears throat> and, uh, able to, uh, uh, inside a crowd, he was a great salesman, verbal salesman, 
uh, Terry was, and he never knew exactly what story he was going to tell, what analogies he was going to use, but somehow or another, he made it all relevant to his game, uh, inside the, inside the ring. So that would be one guy I could think of right now, but th- there's a really, it's rarefied air and comparing punk to anybody else to promos because quite honestly, there was a time there in my, my opinion that he was the best on interviews uh, in the business at one point, uh, you know, his pipe bond stuff is very infamous and so, so forth, but he's a, he is a, uh, unique cat in all areas, uh, including how he mixed his martial arts stylings in with his wrestling matches, but his, what brought him to the dance and, and kept him at the dance, uh, in a big money, uh, position was his verbal messages that he could communicate. And, uh, so <clears throat> I think he's a. Really, in the in the last hell, the last several generations, he's he's in that conversation with the top promo guys of all time in that regard. So, and because the subject matter was so unique, and it was a natural extension of his own personality. Folks have heard me say that right here. The best stars are extensions of their own basic personality. Stone Cold Steve Austin is exactly like you see him except he's, he's, he turns the volume down a little bit when the camera's not on, but his dialogue, his mantra, his feelings, his presentation are all very, very uh, consistent to his natural, uh, shooting the breeze. Austin and I'll get in a conversation sometimes about football. We talk a lot of football, especially this time of the year. And it, it, it sounds like an impassioned wrestling interview, but we're not talking about wrestling. We're talking about football. So that's just, my point is Austin is a, always just manifest his own real personality and let it roll for better or for worse. Here it is. And I think punk had the same philosophy. He just had different stylings. He, he sang a different tune, but it was still the same tra- road. He traveled that Austin traveled by being honest, open and saying things that were based in fact that the audience could relate to. It's this really simple process that for some reason, a lot of talents just never are able to master punk mastered it. You know, you, you bring up Austin. I, I feel like I've got to bring this up several years ago to promote the new WWE 2k video game. They did a promotion where Austin is sitting down, having a conversation with at the time, WWF for WWE champion CM Punk. Yeah. And I, conduct, I conducted that interview actually. So chat me up, you know, the, everybody was a buzz. Hey, does this mean that? you know, Austin may be coming back or we, is there a chance we might get to see this? Is something going to happen? What do you remember? Was there anything like that ever discussed? Uh, well, casually, you know, get anything to get Austin back in a ring in that era was, was going to be experimented with or suggested or whatever, cause he was the golden boy and he was the one, he was the, the Mac daddy, the, the lead dog and all that other cliches. Uh, I remember doing that interview, <clears throat> Uh, and Paul Heyman, uh, produced it. I there, I interviewed punk in Austin and we had no rehearsal. We had no script. We had bullet points as to what we needed to try to, uh, intertwine in our, in our presentation. And those two guys, I mean, I, I was like the point guard. All I did was give them the ball. Uh, so I can't, I'm not going to take any credit or break my arm, patting myself on the back for the interview. I was glad to be a part of it, but they had as good 
uh, an inaugural chemistry is just about anybody I can recall. Uh, there's no doubt in my mind, if Austin and punk had gotten the ring together, they would have produced masterpieces. They had the same basic philosophy of reality based pro wrestling and to be natural extensions of their own personality. They're all on the same page with all that stuff. And both Steve, uh, and uh, punk were great wrestling fans as, you know, as a, a kid. So they, they were, they were lifers. So I would, I would have salivated to see that match and more, even more so to call it. It just wasn't in the cards because Steve's health, but, but man, oh man, that was some of the most fun television that I had been a part of in a long, long time. Thanks to a uh, 2k and Bryce Yang and all those guys putting that together. Heyman was, like I said, was, was there producing. Uh, it was a real cool moment for me to be a part of, but again, it just shows if people go back and look it up, uh, go back and find that Austin punk interview. If you haven't seen it, folks, it's kind of, it was kind of obscure in a lot of ways. So we didn't, it didn't get mainstream. Uh, uh, you know, it didn't get main, it, well, it didn't make raw for let's say it didn't get mainstream coverage, but God dang, man, it was, it was scary. Good. It was almost, you would think because how it came off. Conrad that we had gone over it. We'd rehearsed the day before and you know, and then the next day we'd come back and get, you know, do it for real. Nope. No way, baby. We just, here's some bullet points. Here's, here's your cameras and we'll count you in and go and have at it. So it was, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful day of production. It's sort of fun to armchair quarterback and, and fantasy book the territory, so to speak. How do you think punk would have fit in, in the attitude era of the WWF? Oh. Peanut butter and jelly, baby. JR's barbecue sauce and those good old ribs, hand and glove. Every other, every other analogy one could come up with, he'd have fit perfectly. He would have fit as good as anybody that we had on the roster in the attitude era, because he was attitudinal for real. And the, you know, the nice thing about him one time I was talking, he's a very competitive guy. So he, th there's no doubt, no reason to be, uh, to be surprised at how good his promos were because he wanted to be the best he could be. And, uh, he was really devoted into being the best in the, in his profession. Uh, so I think that, uh, I think that the son of a gun is just, he would have been perfect in the attitude era. And there we could have got, we could have got to see that Austin and punk match. That would have made the attitude era even better. Uh, but he'd have fit perfect Conrad. He's just, he's almost too perfect a fit in the attitude era because he just, it's like it was created for him. Cause he was genuinely attitudinal and, uh, that's what got him over. I think his attitude. Well, he's obviously on you guys radar you know, pretty early on. He does a, a tryout in 2003, uh, that, that didn't really wind up going anywhere, but I think he may have even popped up on TV at one point in like a backstage skit where, uh, he's congratulating Brock Lesnar on, uh, winning the belt, not as a, an on-screen character that's been named just a sort of in the backdrop or background. And that's right after Brock had beat Kurt angle for the world title, but, uh, he gets another tryout in 05, And that's probably when you guys really decide, Hey, we're going to, we're going to do something here. Uh, I think it's may of 2005. He, uh, got a win over the amazing red. And a few days later, uh, he worked with uh, Val Venus and this time it made Sunday night heat. And I think that's on YouTube somewhere. And Val of course beat him. And then, uh, about a week later, he worked one more dark match, um, with Matt Capitelli, and I'm sure we'll talk about him another time. And, uh, he would try 
one last one three days later with uh, Scotty too hottie. And at that point you guys extend the offer. So may of Oh five is when the offer comes, but behind the scenes, he had been putting in a lot of work with ring of honor. He was their trainer and, uh, he had been uh, tag champ and a world champ and, uh, he had done it all with ring of honor. And as we mentioned, he had done some stuff with TNA, but probably the most notable thing that happened at TNA was a bit of a falling out with Teddy Hart. Uh, sometime in, in 2004, I believe there was a, a situation outside of a waffle house in Nashville, which is where uh, they were doing uh, TV every single week or their pay-per-views at the time were a Wednesday night pay-per-view. That was the format for their business. And Teddy Hart is one of those, uh, lightning rods for controversy. I think a lot of people assumed that it would have, uh, eventually worked out where he would have been a part of WWE. And I know he tried a few times and, and he was there for a cup of coffee, but it never really panned out for Teddy. Any stories about Teddy Hart you can share with us? I don't know when we'll talk about him again. Well, I was happy to hire him, uh, because he was such a little phenom, you know, uh, little meaning young, I should say. Uh, he was a, he was a, he was very, very skilled and talented. You know, you're raised in a heart family. You learn to work when you're like, you learn to work before you get your driver's license. You're a heart family member. And, and, uh, and he was, you know, so I, Teddy was his own worst enemy. Afford anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. And some guys mature. Conrad at different times of their life. We know that from working and being adults and having businesses and so forth. It's just one of those situations where everybody kind of sees the light or, or the door, the light becomes more clear, uh, at different times of our life. And, and you and I both know wrestlers that are, that are up there in age. that still haven't matured. They're still living the life of a sophomore with too much money in their pocket. Uh, and, but Teddy was just, wasn't ready for the road. It didn't seem like, uh, uh, but the, nothing, here's the thing about Teddy Hart. He did not have his lack of success in WWE. In my opinion, had nothing to do with his skill set. He's a hell of a little hand. I know he's doing some work for court Bauer now in MLW. Uh, and I, I gotta believe he keeps uh, everybody on their toes. But he's a really, really outstanding talent with a great skill set. I just think that in that era, at his age, uh, he was just uh, he, he he was susceptible to making errors in judgment in that regard. And a lot of this is based on the maturity level. And it's not a sin, by the way, folks. It's not a sin. Uh, but you know, we talked about this one time with Scott Hall when the plane ride from hell, and we had to give Scott Hall his notice. And I believe that we helped contribute to his longevity by getting him off the road, but he had had his run. Teddy had not had his run when we hired him, but we were loyal to the Hart family. And I believed in their, their work ethic and their DNA. Uh, and so we gave him a shot, even though he was smaller, he's just so damn talented. But I think the issue is, uh, social maturity. And, uh, Hey, I said the same thing when on the rookie Brock Lesnar, 
you know, he was a, he was a handful because he had never been on the road. There were things on the road that he'd never got to experience that he kind of liked. Uh, so, you know, Teddy was just a talented son of a bitch. I can tell you, he really was. And I hope he does great with the MLW and he can live this dream, but he, I think he had to make some light. I saw him at a, where did I see him not too long ago? Maybe at AEW somewhere, a taping or something. Something we did, and he was there as, as best I recall. He was at Starcast too in the back. I mean, he he wasn't booked to appear or anything, but he was definitely uh, in the green room. I saw yeah. him. So yeah, we we talked, and you know, he's talking about you know, hey, I made some mistakes, young. And we all did, man. The key thing is learning from those mistakes and moving forward in a positive manner. And it seems like he's doing that right now. You know, I don't know. I saw a little clip of him the other day with him and Hannibal. I had a little. Uh, uh, verbal spat on, 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 uh, on, uh, on, on, uh, video. And I didn't know if that was a work or if it was real. Uh, but anyway, he's a compelling character, but I, I liked, uh, I like him. I hope he does well. You want all those kids that stub their toe, you know, uh, and that you gotta, you gotta terminate. You know, I didn't like giving him his release. You don't like giving anybody the release, especially somebody that cares. Uh, the one thing about Teddy. Sometimes I think Teddy cared too much and sometimes that clouded his judgment just to utilize common sense and conduct himself as a valued member, a teammate within the locker room structure. And, uh, but I, I, I like his game. I like his game still do, but that was the issue there with him at that time. Talk to me a little bit about, uh, the situation, the, the fight, you know, fights and wrestling, uh, unfortunately happen, you know, talents don't get along. There's some words exchanged, then there may be a dust up. It seems mm-hmm. like it happens a lot less these days than maybe it used to. But you know, when you hear that, Hey, Batista had a run in with Booker T or in this case, Teddy Hart had a, had a situation with CM Punk at a Nashville waffle house. Does that make <laughs> its way to, to your desk? Do you hear about that? Even though these guys aren't working for you. I mean, you're certainly familiar with both names. Yeah, of course. Uh, they uh, wanted to scatter some other cover and chump <laughs> each other. Don't think I haven't been to Waffle House about a million times in my lifetime. Uh, yeah, yeah, the word gets back because it makes the it makes the the old proverbial dirt sheets, and and uh, you know everybody can't wait to get their hands on a freshly minted, mailed and received dirt sheet. So uh, uh, yeah, well, I was aware of it, but. Hey, I'll tell you what, I I'm sure Teddy's a tough kid and he has no fear. I get that. And he may be the baddest man in the land. I don't know that either. He might be, but I can tell you this, man, sight unseen. I got to pick a winner. I'm picking punk punk. Had, I had an interesting conversation one time about, uh, uh, shoots and real fights and things like that. And he was very, very, uh, matter of fact and telling me that, you know, I like to fight. And I will, he said, Jr. I will fight anybody. I'm afraid of no one. That's how I live my life. I can't be afraid of anyone. And the lifestyle that I've had growing up as a kid, his dad battled the alcoholism issues and so forth. His mother had some issues as well, according to what we read online, uh, bipolar type issues. Uh, you know, he, he's, uh, he's a tough son of a gun and he, he doesn't have any fear and he likes to engage in physicality. Hence, he went to the MMA and he, look, he's smart enough got to know that trying to get in the MMA business on a high level like USC when you're in your late thirties, 
is probably not the most judicious decision one could make. Your chances of you succeeding are slim and none. And as the, as Nikolai Volkov might say, you know, slim just left town. Uh, so he had an uphill struggle in that regard. So, uh, I, I, I know that he's a combative son of a gun. He would have been a handful. It would have been a hell of a fight, but I think punk would have, and I don't want to piss off the Hart family because I love them. And, but you know, punk is a, I don't know. He, he seems like he always had a, uh, sense of urgency when it comes to those situations. And you watch his matches in the ring. You know, he didn't hold things back in the ring. He, he was not a stylistic guy, even though, uh, I'm sure he didn't stiff people and hurt people. I've heard of that, but what he did looked awesome and it looked like you can't see through it as they say. So I, I, uh, I like his chances in that situation, but to know how him, how he is, he's naturally combative. He's naturally competitive. And boy, those are great traits to have. If you're, you want to be a star in the, in the pro wrestling world. Let's, uh, let's mention here that when you guys bring him in, uh, and, and agree to assign him to a developmental contract, uh, of course, as you said, the, the dirt sheets get a hold of it. So everybody knows that he signed, but he's allowed to finish up his commitments to ring of honor and they schedule him for a world title shot in June. So, uh, not too terribly long after he has that, that tryout match and he beats Austin Aries and wins the world title and the fans are cheering. And, uh, of course, uh, afterwards he grabs the mic and does his, in his words, his first pipe bomb. He even references that the microphone in his hand uh, or in anyone else's hand, is just a microphone, just a tube of plastic, but in his hand, it's a pipe bomb. And he announces that not only is he the ring of honor world champion, but he's taking this ring of honor world title to WWE with him. And, uh, eventually he shows up in a suit which is very unseen punk life and, 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 uh, signs his new WWE contract on top of the world title. That's old school. Good stuff. Is it not? Absolutely. So logical, real feel felt real. was real in that respect. Uh, yeah. Smart stuff by him. Uh, no doubt. Yeah, I've always wondered, I'm not so sure looking back on the situation. If you had been, if it had been my call, uh, Sometimes corporately, you got to send a guy with his skill set, uh, to, a to like say OVW and we got, we always got great results out of OVW back in the day with Cornette and Danny Davis and Rip Rogers. All those guys are great. And now Al Snow's owns the OVW and they're training some real good kids. They're going to produce some stars. There's no doubt about it. So there's a lot of good schools folks so that the OVW school in Louisville is one you don't want to sleep on. So it's, it's a damn good one. But I, I'm not so sure he needed that stop off in OVW other than maybe to get orient, maybe like an orientation on how we do interviews or how the PR is done or your schedule, what's expected of you. I, like a, like I said, like a, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for when you go to call, uh, orientation, you know, you, what is it? Orientation. Orientation. Yeah. I said that. So anyway, uh, he, that was kind of an orientation for him, but but as far as going there to better improve his game was a waste of time. His game was great. Don't screw with what he's doing because it's working and he makes it work because that's how he feels about his presentation. Don't screw with that. But to go to OVW for uh, any other reason, just to kind of get his feet on the ground, people to know him a little bit because he wasn't the easiest guy to get to know. He had a very, uh, you know, with at times his personality was very withdrawn. 
sometimes he kept things to himself, uh, maybe more often than not, but to go to OVW to learn to work or to, or to improve his game was, I thought a waste of time. And it sometimes is used in a, as a very awkward way to humble somebody. Uh, and until that was then now, now if you're in NXT, uh, you're on one of their main brands and arguably uh, some people think it's their best show, but at that time, at that time, Conrad, it was not that way. It was a legitimate little developmental territories. And, you know, my question would always be, did he really need to go to Louisville for anything particular other than, uh, a quasi orientation? So let's talk about it because he's been pretty vocal about the fact that he felt like it was, um, I don't know, maybe a a slap in the face. He was, he was upset that he's relegated to developmental. And when he's there, he discovers that, Hey, uh, Heyman's here and he has a lot of respect for him. So this won't be a bad thing to get to learn, learn from him, but he thinks he's ready. And apparently Heyman agreed. Mm Mm-hmm. And according to, to Bruce, Bruce has sometimes said that when someone, and I've, I've heard from other folks in, in a more, um, maybe honest manner that if someone campaigns for a guy at events all the time, that sometimes Vince just sours on the idea, not because it's not a good idea, not because the talent being suggested isn't worthy or worthwhile, but because he's just annoyed that the person continues to bring them up. So as a result, he just isn't interested. Do you think that there's such a thing as, well, let's just, here's an example. I've heard a few years ago, Arn Anderson would bring up a talent over and over and over. And he would say in any of the meetings, Hey, what about so-and-so? And he did it often enough that someone told me that that talent was quote Arned. Meaning Arn had pushed for him enough that now just despite Arn, Vince would never do anything with him. Do you think that maybe some of the early, um, stutter steps that punk had is because Heyman was campaigning behind the scenes too much. And it just annoyed Vince and Vince said, fuck it. It very well could have been Conrad. Very well could have been true. Uh, that's possible. Uh, I've seen the same thing and I've done it myself. I'm as guilty as Paul Heyman or anybody else touting, a a a, a a, a prospector, somebody we want to sign. Now, I was lucky in that role because I didn't have to get Vince's approval to sign talent. I, I signed guys after a while after I had that job because, uh, my track record got pretty good with our team. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm, uh, I can see that very readily happening where there's a pushback or backlash on overselling. Uh, but I'm with punk. Uh, the, the value of punk going to OVW was the fact that we had Heyman there and Heyman was good at finding the looking at talent, refining their nuances, uh, and creating, uh, their, their, a marketable image that would sell tickets and pay-per-views and so forth and be a viable member of the team. Cause if Paul likes somebody for Paul's own ego, he's not, he's not, he didn't want him to fail and neither would I. So I'm <clears throat> same way in that regard. And I think Paul probably maybe learned some of that from me back in the old days in WCW. Uh, cause we, we traveled together, worked together and communicated daily. Uh, and you know, and he was, Paul was on the scrap heap there cause the booking committee hated his ass. I've always said that they, the reason they didn't like it cause they were in, some of them were insecure that they realized Haman was much smarter than they were and they didn't want him around. So I made him my broadcast partner, took him all the, out of the booking committee's hands. But yeah, man, I think, uh, I think, I think punk made the good news about this 
deal in OVW, you're going to Louisville, was the fact that Heyman was there. And Heyman could actually help refine, put a little bit of shine here, there, and yon on the on the coarse edges uh, of punk, if that if that was a good t- if that's a good term. So that he he came out a winner on that deal. Because here's the bottom line: once he got to uh, once Punk got to the main roster, he was obviously really really ready, and maybe even more ready than he would have been if he went directly from Ring of Honor to the WWE roster. But he, the, my point is, him being an OVW was a good thing because Heyman was there. And it was a nice stop off because it kept him in the pr- protocol. Uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sending, that was the Vince's mandate, you know, send all these guys to, to the developmental and let's see what we got with them. And it's not a bad philosophy, but again, you, you don't send them there to help them learn to work because they can't take a flat back bump or so forth and so on. You send them there to, to learn the WWE way of conducting business. That is a largely a non bell to bell function. So I think all in all, it was a good deal for him, but did he need to be there long? No. And I don't think he was there long. Let's, you know, something you said a minute ago, I want to circle back to, but you said a lot of times talent would get sent to OVW as a way to humble them. Do you, uh, can you elaborate on that? Because I feel like there's a lot of people who could interpret that different ways. I probably can. And maybe they should. Uh, my view was that you get a talent that's full of himself or herself. And they, they have been in a territory or a little, a small indie like company, and they think they have all the answers and they're, they're, they're perfect to go. They don't need to practice. They don't need to, to get, uh, to, 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 uh, mold themselves into a, the locker room. They're ready now. And a lot of guys, women, men, whatever are not ready. So, uh, and if you come in with your full of yourself, like some guys do. Uh, you know, I, I should have been signed here years ago instead of saying, Hey man, I'm glad I got this opportunity. I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to work my ass off. You're going to see it and you're going to see the results. That's one thing, but to say, I didn't need to, I didn't need to, I was ready to go from the get go. I didn't need to go get trained. You think a guy like, uh, uh, you know, now these, these kids on NXT, because they, they are ironically going head to head against, uh, AEW beginning in, you know, us in October, they're going to start in, in September on USA. Uh, you know, some guys believe that that's what makes the NXT different. Now you think Adam Cole and, uh, all those, all those great workers, Gargano and all those kids needed to go to, uh, to NXT to become good workers. No, of course not. They're good. They were good. The minute you laid eyes on them, but again, you got the orientation aspect is there. They're always going to do that. Uh, but you know, I, I think, uh, I think punk was punk. If anybody was going to revolt and feel really, really insulted, it would be him. And I think with good reason, Conrad, but he, he did it. And I think the, the saving grace there, as I was, we mentioned was that Heyman was there to, to, uh, to see after him. And that, that, I think that meant a lot to punk and then, and I think it meant a lot to him even more later because he, uh, Heyman helped get him ready for the main roster. Let's talk about, uh, somebody else who's going to eventually wind up in developmental. And, uh, it's probably the match that really had everybody talking. One of punk's first, uh, friends in wrestling is somebody he meets in wrestling school, an actual athlete who has uh, gone on to uh, maybe carve out a different path in professional wrestling, Mr. Colt Cabana. And these days Colt's legacy is all about wrestling podcasts and pro wrestling tees and what an impression he's made and 
forever changed the wrestling business. But when he was just a young upstart, he's doing every indie he can with his pal CM Punk, and they're getting a lot of buzz and a lot of attention. And eventually you guys would, would bring him in for developmental as well and try him as Scotty Goldman, I think. Uh, what can you tell us about the relationship of, of CM Punk and Cole Cabana back then? We know things may be a little different these days. Yeah, they apparently are not uh, seeing eye to eye now on legal issues and kind of wedged itself between the two, the friendship of the two guys. Well, back in the day, as Tony Greer would say, uh, they, uh, they're buddies. I mean, they're best friends. It seemed like they're almost joined at the hip. You saw one, sometimes you were sure to see the other. So they had a real good, uh, uh, wrestler to wrestler relationship. They both, you know, lived in Chicago. They did the Indies together. They spent a lot of time working with each other. I think they helped each other's in-ring game uh, immensely because it's, you, I've always said uh, you can't get better in the ring working with people, consistently working with people that are not as good as you. So you have to have a, a comp, comparable uh, skill set in the ring with you to get better at your game. And I think both those guys pushed each other well in that regard. Uh, and I remember bringing in, uh, uh, Colt Cabana. I thought for some reason, I don't, under, I never have understood this, that Colt Cabana was a very, very good worker. He still is, but it seemed like the thought was, well, we don't think somebody thought he was not going to be a great wrestler, not a main event guy on the WWE level, which I totally disagree with. And so they wanted to make him a broadcaster. And quite frankly, I've heard some of his broadcasting work at ring of honor. He's very good. Yeah. He's very, he's very good, but that was the deal. He, it was almost like a, we're going to throw our hands up. No, he's not going to be a great wrestler, but, and he's like, he reminds that story reminds me of Brian Pillman, who we were going to make after he got his ankle fuse, make him a, uh, a broadcaster in the shades of Jesse Ventura or somebody. And he hated it because his wrestling career in his mind's eye was not over. In the reality of the matter, it was over because he can't be as athletic or as, uh, you know, as he was when he had this good, his feet were good and ankles were good and all that stuff. But I think that was the thing about Scotty. He just, he wanted to wrestle. He had, he had unfinished business to do in the ring and wanted to get it done while he could still able to do it and, uh, not start a brand new career as a broadcaster. Uh, but I could tell you his, the, whoever had the idea of him being a broadcaster in W, uh, W E. Uh, was right on the money because he's really good at verbal skills. And, and why would you think not? He, he was one of the first guys to podcast, uh, and he's a good talker, uh, smart kid. I always, he's very interesting to talk to, but I think they, just, they, both those guys are very, very complex in a lot of ways. Some ways, somebody might say that both Scotty and, and punk were both, uh, you know, uh, were complex guys. I'm not so sure how complex they were. They may have been more just the other side of that. They may have been very simplistic. Treat me right. Be honest, be fair, be, respect me. And you'll get 10 times that in return. And, uh, so they had a great relationship and it's unfortunate now that they don't have that relationship any longer. And I can only hope that for anybody's friendships that last long, and you, you separate for a while that you can, they can reconcile and, and move on. Let's, uh, let's talk about one of the things that, that he gets going with, uh, he being CM Punk pronouns, pal, mm-hmm. um, he makes his debut on OVW TV 
uh, and, and very quickly, uh, has a little bit of trouble. I think he suffers a ruptured eardrum and a broken nose on his official TV debut. And he's really out of sorts here. And he would admit years later that he didn't really know what WWE wanted, but he knew that they had a reputation of being sort of the land of the giants. And you got to remember this is, this is Oh five. This is not now. Uh, so in Oh five, you know, the top guys are guys who look like Batista and triple H and John Cena. They're not necessarily guys who look like Daniel Bryan or for that matter, Samoa Joe or CM Punk. So he starts to bulk up. He's, he's, he's eating more and he's changed his diet. He's lifting more and he's trying to put on a bigger frame in Oh five. Is that when did that culture change? Uh, do you, I mean, is there, is there a, a moment that you remember or a talent or, or a, an angle, a piece of business, whatever, where you thought, okay, that's no longer necessary. We don't need to have behemoths anymore. It was around that time because, uh, at the same time that we were bringing in, uh, Daniel Bryant was, a, would be a great example for that because here's a guy that's five, eight or nine, uh, just absolutely an amazing uh, entering a tactician, uh, one that would, his skill set would, uh, would be successful in any era that I've worked in, in my lifetime in wrestling. And I think punk fit right into that same mold. You got highly skilled guys, very motivated. They, they really, really wanted to be in WWE and maybe not just because of the money, but because of the status and the fact that WWE was always the goal. You know, it's easy to say, and I'm not knocking XFL, but if you're an American football player playing American tackle football, uh, and, and you want to do it for a living, the first choice is always the national football league. And I think the WWE is, uh, serves that purpose for a lot of the boys. It's their NFL. And, uh, so getting to that level, getting on an NFL team was a huge deal. So, you know, I, I'm, uh. He's just, uh, he was just, uh, he, he was one of those guys that had just a fa- fa- fantastic skill set. He had that great verbal ability to, to express himself and he incorporated some MMA stuff, some, maybe a little bit more submission stuff that, uh, other people, you know, may not have utilized as, as effectively, but punk and, and Daniel Bryan, I would say are two of the leading guys, uh, that, that made this thing work. And I think when I signed Ray Mysterio, uh, that didn't hurt anything because, you know, Ray, although Ray, we don't, Ray is so good. We don't think about how small he is. Uh, he's, he's a, he's a, he's not a big guy except he's got big talent, but things like that contributed to Conrad to your question about when that started uh, going away and, and, uh, the size thing that I think, uh, oh heck man, I, I believe that, uh, it was a, a process but a Ray Mysterio contributed to it, punk, uh, and punk was six one or so, you know, he, he could, he could hold, he could stand to, to bulk up a little bit. Uh, and he did, but you know, I don't know, man. I think that, uh, I think that, uh, punk and, and Daniel Bryant and all those ring of honor guys that Laurinaitis, Laurinaitis went in and signed, uh, would be contributing factors to that size, uh, uh, conundrum that have been a problem or been an issue in WWE for many, many years. Well, CM Punk finally gets his big break, uh, and, and he's going to debut on TV for ECW. I guess we should mention he did have a cameo at WrestleMania 22, uh, playing one of John Cena's gangsters. 
Uh, and that's, that's pretty common. You go back and, and see the undertaker's entrance a few years ago. And it was a lot of, uh, uh, quote unquote underneath talent. And even triple H, you know, at WrestleMania in 2014, he had, uh, I think it was Alexa bliss and Sasha banks and Charlotte flair, uh, helping with his entrance. So that's sort of a, a rite of passage for a lot of developmental talents. But once he's on TV, he's on TV for ECW. So they're going to relaunch ECW and, and, and task Paul Heyman with trying to make that show successful. And of course, one of the talents he wants to feature is CM Punk. And while not a lot of great stuff comes from this relaunch of ECW, I don't know that he would have had the opportunity, uh, to, to shine on the big stage with, um, I don't know the right lens had Paul Heyman not been there to shepherd it. And ECW certainly provided that. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Heyman was good at putting shine on talents. Paul uh, had learned these skills early on. Uh, and uh, as I did from the standpoint of as a, a booker, not a, not a, not a writer, different role. Now we've talked about this here on the show, uh, a booker and a writer are different entities or just different. There's apples and oranges here. Uh, but Heyman was good at just looking, evaluating a talent and then booking them to play to their strengths and do, and put them in positions, uh, where they are good at executing a specific thing. If that makes any sense to you folks, it's just Heyman was just good at you limit You don't put a talent in a position there that they don't shine. And I, here's the best analogy. I, I tell you in talents this all the time, you don't need to work on your punches in, in practice. Cause that's just a, that's an ancillary part of wrestling is throwing punches. It should still be illegal. In my opinion, if the heels have no rules to break, then they're screwed and you can't get heat on a heel that doesn't, isn't good about breaking the rules and lying about it to some degree. So that's, that's how that worked. But Heyman was really good at hiding weaknesses and exploiting strengths. And he was able to do that with punk. And I think what it also did, his interactions with punk, uh, gave, uh, payments interactions with punk gave punk confidence, uh, that he's on the right track. So I think there's a lot of wins with the Heyman punk relationship. And, uh, but you know, I, I, and Heyman again, did a great job of identifying a really rough, but top talent that we could utilize. We should mention that, uh, now not only is he given an opportunity to tell his straight edge story on camera, but he's also presented with a Muay Thai background and, uh, he does sort of the, uh, wrist roll, the old famous Vanderlei Silva. Yeah. Uh, and you can tell that he has a, a big MMA influence and a big fan of that. And, uh, Paul puts him in good spots against a lot of old ECW talent like CW Anderson and Stevie Richards and just incredible, but he gets really his big break, probably teaming with Degeneration X and the Hardy boys in a survivor series match. And, you know, knowing what we know now about, you know, the rumor and innuendo that maybe triple H wasn't the biggest CM Punk fan. That's an interesting pairing, you know, punk with the Hardys. Maybe I could see it, but punk with Shawn Michaels and triple H, a couple of guys who have a reputation for not always being. Uh, the friendliest of guys with young talent. And I think at different times, they've both been rather vocal about their opinions backstage. Chat me up. Uh, what do you think of this pairing? And, uh, 
did you have a specific conversation with either Shawn Michaels or triple H about CM Punk? I don't recall having a specific conversation. I think that quite honestly, uh, if I was guessing what, uh, uh, triple H's issues with punk would be, would be punk's physique and how he looked, uh, and that he, did he, cause he did not look like a guy that was a future WWE champion to any eyes, of a lot of people. Uh, but here's the thing, man, he, his skill sets for all of this stuff was great. Uh, and so I think their issues, quite frankly, was more like on how he looked in their view, uh, and not how he worked. So, uh, but here's the other thing about that. Once they saw how good he was, I think some of that scuttlebutt and the little, you know, little, uh, whispers about punk's physique or his arms aren't big enough or he didn't have a big enough shoulder. Some of that bullshit. Uh, that he, uh, you know, uh, after we saw, they saw what he was all about. Uh, I think that, that the, the bitching subsided to some degree, but because of his lifestyle, he believed in it. He preached it. He talked about it. Uh, I think that he, uh, uh, still has some bullshit to deal with, but it was less because it was obvious he was going to be a top star. And when you saw, if you see somebody that's a real good worker that does not have a, a reputation for hurting people, uh, then it encourages the more, uh, established incumbents to want to work with him too. And I kind of think that's where that thing went and uh, which is a kind of, we'll talk about it here in a second, but that's kind of like where the undertaker came in. I think taker wanted to work with punk because he saw something special in this guy and Taker's a team player to get another, another star over, just have some draw more money. Of which they all share. So, uh, I think that was more of a physique thing than anything else on, on Hunter's part. Maybe, uh, Sean would have followed Hunter along more, uh, usually. So, but I think it's what it was just <clears throat> a physique thing and kind of weak, kind of weak. It's kind of weak reason not to like somebody. If that is the case, the, uh, worst pay-per-view of all time, December to dismember, uh, features an elimination chamber match. And Bruce Pritchard has told us that. He remembers Paul Heyman campaigning really, really hard that the big show should be the first person eliminated and it should happen within seconds because CM Punk tapped him out. And of course that's not what wound up happening. Uh, Paul Heyman, that would be the end of him sort of running ECW and he's gonna uh, be asked to go home. And instead of tapping out big show right away, he's actually the first person eliminated. And it happens at the hands of Mr. Rob Van Dam. Do you remember December to dismember and this debacle? Uh, I remember that it was a debacle. Too many cooks in the kitchen, uh, too many, uh, random agendas, you know, uh, the ECW phenomenon is uh, pretty incredible. You know, I was, I was, was, and still am a fan of their product. Uh, I, I love listening to, uh, Bubba Dudley talk about EC, his ECW days fondly and glowingly on busted open radio, my, my favorite radio show, uh, with Dave LaGreca and the crew, uh, love those guys. But I, I think sometimes, uh, uh, the love of ECW is sometimes misguided to the standpoint that, um, it, it's hard for me to fathom that there would be an ECW that created by Paul Heyman. If there had not been a mid South wrestling that Paul Heyman watched as a tape trader and a, and a fan, because the ECW physicality, the blood, the guts and the beer, the fighting, the brawling 
was very prominent on, on Mid-South long before ECW was created. So I think that the Mid-South had something to do with the ECW uh, uh, stylings. Uh, big fan of it. So, uh, But I, the, the thing I'm going to try to say is that the ECW brand, to those that were committed to it, is still a very uh, special thing. And if you, like I said, if you listen to Bubba or some of these other guys that were ECW guys, had the jersey, the first jersey, the first helmet, they were in the game. Uh, you'll you'll hear that it was a special place, but we Paul tried so hard to resurrect it and make it a special place that uh, it sometimes alienated some folks. Uh, but Paul can be very persistent, and uh, I, I remember talking to Paul one time. He wanted to do he 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 was pitching creative some some program for a uh, uh, little Guido, uh, one of his ECW boys. Uh, and, uh, I can't James, James Marito, I think is his last name. Great guy, but he's small. I said, Paul, you're dying on the wrong hill, man. Hey, you go, you're trying to, you're bug, you're bugging the hell out of Vince. Cause I've just said, if Heyman hits me one more time about doing this big angle, with little Guido, I'm going to kill him type thing, you know, tongue in cheek. But, but Paul was that persistent. If he was that persistent on little Guido, you could only imagine how persistent he was on CM Punk. There are different talents in there now. And I, a little Guido's fundamentally sound good guy. You want him on your team. You want him in the locker room, but you don't want him to main event in a card. And I'm not saying Paul wanted to be the, the, the main eventer, but he indicated that he had that potential to get over and be a star. And, and nobody believed Paul on that one or, or will go along with it. So, uh, that's kind of that, uh, Conrad, the, the, uh, Heyman had a way of ruffling with feathers and he wanted to resurrect ECW so badly that he was willing to put himself on, on jeopardy and it, and it bit him in the ass because as you said, Vince had heard enough and, uh, and Paul was no longer involved in the ECW production. It just was not going to be resurrected. It was a, it was a brand that had had its run. It was a great run. The WWE bought the library. We helped fund them for a while. All that was good stuff. No problem. We signed some really good talents from ECW. Uh, much like, uh, Laurinaitis did in the mid two thousands with, uh, the, uh, uh, ring of honor guys that we're talking about. So, uh, I, I think punk was, uh, he was, a he, 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 but he came out of it. Okay. Even though he lost his, his guardian angel and his biggest supporter officially, I'm sure that punk and Heyman continued to talk and strategize and, and, and game plan, uh, all, all along. Once punk, uh, or, or once Heyman leaves, uh, punk is, uh, put into a feud with hardcore Holly. Who's going to finally end punk's unbeaten streak in singles competition, uh, which I guess was like six months or so. And, uh, then he finds himself qualifying for the money in the bank ladder match at WrestleMania. And that's a pretty big deal. Um, because he hasn't really been, uh, featured in these type situations before. Uh, he winds up joining the new breed Alliance. And, uh, so you've got sort of the new breed version of ECW with the ECW originals on the other side. And, uh, he's going to start using, uh, a, a go to sleep finisher, which I think a lot of, uh, wrestling fans remember was a move made famous over in Japan by, by Kenta who's recently returned. And I believe is now a part of the bullet club. So I guess next we should mention that, um, 
you know, it's not all, it's not all, uh, roses for punk and ECW or WWE. Once Heyman is on the sidelines and specifically, uh, in the DVD that you guys released, or I guess WWE released several years ago, you said that punk made the potential cut list several times during this era, but somehow Paul Heyman, even though he was not booking ECW anymore, he still was participating in some of the calls. He would always campaign and fight for punk. How close to, uh, being cut was punk. I mean, it feels like for whatever reason, some of the, uh, some of the higher ups maybe just weren't sold on him yet. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. He's, uh, he was, uh, it wasn't a, I don't want it really in the, in the, in the practical application of this question and this matter, he really punk was never really treated overly fair as a, just as a the personal interaction of a talent. He was not outgoing. He was certainly not an ass kisser. And if you're not a sycophant sometimes, uh, and that's the only thing that was making you stand out to ingratiate yourself to all the decision makers, uh, you find yourself being dealt a tough hand, but as he became more valuable as a commodity and the, and the, I can tell you this, uh, the fans did that. The, the wrestling fans themselves started buying into punk's, uh, persona. They started buying into his quote unquote act, if you will, his presentation. And, and uh, they loved what he brought to the table because he was so different and so unique. And it was very, very obvious that CM Punk was not a creation of the office. And sometimes when you come into WWE, you're already with your quote unquote gimmick or your name or whatever. Sometimes it's a rough start. Sometimes you don't get that running start that you'd like to have because the WWE did not create you, uh, in that respect, they're going to refine you and make you better. It comes down to communication and ego and, and, and punk, uh, was a quiet introverted guy. Uh, oftentimes in that environment, uh, I didn't find it ever to be sullen or moody to me because I understood him. And also, I was not in a position at that time to really influence much of uh, his career other than calling a match here, there, and yon because Laurinaitis had, had uh, taken that role. And I don't know how Laurinaitis and, uh, and, uh, and Punk got along. I know that sometimes you get a talent that's, that you could say is a quote-unquote high maintenance. You know, Stone Cold Steve Austin was high maintenance. He, had, uh, he, had, he didn't trust anybody. Uh, he had a very a great sense of, of what he was doing and what he could do well, what he didn't do well. He also had a, a feeling about, you know, uh, his, uh, uh, how he, how he interacted. Also, was not the most social guy in the world. He became that more often because it, when you become more accepted, then it's easier to get more involved in this thing. And from an emotional standpoint, but punk never punk was a lot like Austin in that regard. You had to get to know him, but you wanted to get to know him better. Once you saw the summit was a real deal and punk was a real deal, much like stone cold. So there's nothing wrong with being quote unquote high maintenance. It's up to the administrator to figure out what it's going to take to communicate with the high maintenance talent. And, uh, as we did with Steve and as we, uh, as, as I don't think that they quite got to that level of punk. I just don't think that he got embraced because of who he was, how he looked his lifestyle, all those things, for some reason, just didn't appease or appeal to some of the higher ups there, as you mentioned, 
and uh, and it's unfortunate because he really is never he's never a bad guy. Let's let's talk about the boys for a minute because I feel like sometimes uh, the the internet you know wrestling community has their favorites and when they become uh, sort of mobilized, it's like hey he's our guy and we're we're all cheering for this one guy. And, and we want him to do well and we want him to succeed and we think he's great. He gets sort of a, a tag for, um, indie darling. And mm-hmm. so, and so I, I feel like whenever a guy comes in from the independence with a lot of hype and a big reputation, some of the other guys who are already in the locker room probably roll their eyes at that. And John Cena on that same DVD we referenced earlier said when he finally saw CM Punk after all the hype and reputation, he thought that's it. Is that a fair assessment that maybe some of the folks who are on the main roster, who perhaps aren't given an opportunity on TV every single week to really show what they're capable of. When a guy comes in from the Indies with a lot of hype and a big reputation, they're sort of looked at maybe a little sideways. Like what's the big fucking deal. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it comes back to physique. Think about it. So as Cena said, and, this, and I didn't see the DVD, but I, I, I know I remember, I remember it and I remember it you know, selling pretty well, as a matter of fact, uh, but Cena's assessment was based on look, how can you, you can't make an assessment on somebody by saying, I finally saw this guy and I said, this is it. He didn't even know him. Hadn't met him. Didn't have a relationship with him. It's the eyeball test. And, you know, even though punk was great conditioned, uh, but he didn't have that bodybuilder's physique. Now I'll tell you, he started, he started getting, adding some bulk and, uh, uh, you know, his nutrition, I'm sure improved. And he started going to the gym more, uh, and, and working on his, uh, his body. But yeah, man, he's, uh, he, it was not fair in that regard. Uh, Hey, it's also the same thing. Go back and think about this in, uh, I think it was, when was it? 2000 and he got a, here's the deal. A couple of things. Uh, he had a, he got a five-star match. Did punk with, with Samoa Joe by Dave Meltzer's wrestling observer newsletter that would get around. Some of the guys looked at that as a great accomplishment. And some of the guys who weren't getting those five-star ratings looked at it as bullshit. So a lot of little things like that made him that, as you mentioned, very uh, accurately, the internet darling, but uh, to say, well, I saw him and this is it. He had not, he had not even seen John had not even seen punk work as far as I know. Right. So it's hard. How do you make an assessment on that? And as a responsible producer, why would you allow a talent to say something that's so uh, self-incriminating and, and it just didn't hold water. So I don't know how that worked either, but. Nonetheless, it goes back to the same thing, man. You talked earlier about Triple H and Sean not being big fans of punk. Were they big, were they not big fans of punks because he didn't do drugs? No. Or drink? No. And by the way, Triple H doesn't do drugs or drink either. So I didn't never understand that. But the deal was, comes back. Does he have the look that, that we, as in WWE, covet for a spot on our roster? or especially on a main event level situation. And that was where that came about right there. Just simply, he didn't have a bodybuilder physique, but he had the body of an athlete and as a wrestler. And then again, as I said, 
Conrad, when some of these cats saw how well he could work and how he could adapt his style to incorporate with yours to make it a, a more seamless presentation, then everybody wanted to work with him because they saw this son of a gun is really, really good. And he can make me look good and we could have some great matches. So let's talk about, uh, WrestleMania 23. It's his first WrestleMania with the company and, uh, he's well, where he's actually in a match and it's the uh, money in the bank ladder match. Big deal for him to qualify in that. Ultimately his number's not called there. Mr. Kennedy comes up successful, but the big thing we would see happen uh, next or of note that we should bring up is the vengeance pay-per-view in June of that year. He was scheduled to face Chris Benoit for the ECW title. Uh, but we all know that the Benoit tragedy happened. And as a result, uh, that match does not take place. Johnny nitro is in the match instead. And nitro wins the match and becomes the ECW champion. And punk has said that he didn't feel like nitro was ready. He felt like he was more ready at the time, but that's the decision that was made. And you guys do eventually flip flop the title on, uh, in September where punk would beat Morrison for the belt. Uh, and then in January of 2008, Chavo would beat punk with a little help from edge to win the ECW champion, but the championship, uh, finally being around his waist and it being his first, uh, taste of gold in the WWE, even though it's not the original ECW, it is a reboot and it is at a time when Heyman is not there writing it. It had to be uh, kind of a cool moment because the original ECW would have been a great fit for punk. Um, but I think it's pretty common knowledge that as far as the pecking order of championships, the ECW world title was way down the ladder from the other two at this time. Fair to say. Oh yeah. Way down the ladder. Uh, and you know, trying to reposition ECW as a viable brand was mainly the, the, uh, goal of a lot of ECW loyalists and underneath talents that were not firmly placed on the raw or SmackDown roster, but had grown up watching ECW and were fans of the product. And they saw it as their opportunity to get in the game and get television time. If the ECW television show found its way, uh, on, uh, on, on, on TV. Uh, I, I, uh, I think that, uh, the way I remember that, I didn't call a lot of ECW matches then, uh, but I remember that he stood out over almost anybody. So, he, he, he was red hot. So my point was the ECW title change and this, I think it was just basically a way to get him, uh, dis- disassociated with ECW sooner than later so that he could go to raw or SmackDown because finally the light was shining on punk that this guy is good and we can make, we can get more mileage out of him on raw or SmackDown. Than we ever will on a trying to do a rebooted ECW. Here's my question. I guess, do you think that perhaps he was given this, this ECW belt almost as a way to sort of placate like, Hey, we don't think he's ready for prime time. We don't think he's ready to be one of the big boys, but since everybody loves him so much here, this will pacify everybody. Here's your, here's you a little title here. Maybe I mean, it could have been, uh, that's, that's kind of weak in my view, not what you said, but I can understand your question and it could have been, it could have been that to some degree. Uh, I guess my point is making someone ECW champion doesn't necessarily mean the office is behind you. I mean, it's not, it's not on no, that caliber. No. 
I think it only meant that they saw his talent. They started believing in, in him more, whether he's ever going to be on somebody's, uh, come to Christmas dinner at somebody's house or on the, on the, you know, birthday card list or whatever, probably ain't going to happen with him. Uh, cause he didn't try to make that happen. You know, he didn't care about having personal relationships. It didn't seem to me like he was all about business. Nothing wrong with that either. Punk was all about business, Conrad, all about the business and, uh, not a social party. Again, I say uh, twinkling my eye and tongue in my cheek about the females that seemed to really like him. That was a great thing about it. If the, if the, if the whole roster would have opened their arms, so to speak, as the ladies did, uh, he'd been the most popular guy on the roster. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, my hero. So, but, but he, that's just him, man. Again, my, we were talking about this earlier. In charge of talent relations, man, you've got to, uh, make sure that you know how to communicate with the talent. I use the Austin example. You got to know how to communicate with the talent. That's your job. And I'm not so sure that anybody in power, including Laurenitis, who would have been his, who been punk's conduit to Vince, uh, did a great job in communicating with punk. Maybe they did. I wasn't there day to day in that regard. I'd already been replaced. But that's how I would have worked with him. He, I'd spent a lot of time with a guy so that he had one guy he could go, go to that he knew would be honest and fair with him. And I don't know that he's ever felt that way under the Laurenitis uh, regime. And that just, that's my assessment. It sounds like sour grapes are made for JR. He, he's not head of talent relations anymore, blah, blah, blah. But I kinda, that's kind of what it felt like to me. The uh, 2008. Uh money in the bank match at WrestleMania is a big moment for punk. Uh, he's in here with Carlito, Chris Jericho, John Morrison, MVP, Mr. Kennedy, Shelton Benjamin, and punk wins the thing. And, um, not too terribly long after that, he's drafted to raw and his first night on raw the following week, he cashes in his money in the bank after Batista was beat down or after Batista has beaten down the world champion edge rather, and he wins the title. And, uh, this is a big moment for punk. Obviously now this is not the ECW title. This is the world heavyweight championship on raw and to get a win over edge and then, um, defend his title against JBL the same night, uh, pretty cool moment for him. You know, no, I don't think, uh, a lot of people maybe saw this coming that, that he would right after the draft win the world title, but nice little piece of business. eh? yeah, absolutely. And the lights, the, the bulb had gone off in the power brokers minds that the fans are telling us we're on to something. And oftentimes WWE has been blamed for not listening to the fans and reacting accordingly to what the fans are telling them, because the folks that buy tickets and come to live events that make the, the effort to get to a live event, the parking, the, the mission, the, the hot dogs the souvenirs, whatever it may be, it's not a cheap proposition. Uh, and, uh, I just think that, you know, punk was the kind of guy that the, the audience lifted on their shoulders. They embraced him and they carried punk to the promised land. Did they meaning the, the fans themselves. And, uh, I, that's to me, that was always the best judge for him is that you get that direct market research. Those guys that made the attempt to get from their house to the arena and sat there for a show. And then when he came out, it was amazing. Uh, and, and a lot of that had, some of that had to do with his music. You know, I remember Jan loved to, they, when he Funk would come out because she loved the cult of personality. 
Well, that wasn't it yet. He wasn't using that one just yet here. Not until after the pipe bomb, but we're on our way there, but this is still a big moment. You know, the pipe bomb happened June 27th. He wins the world title on June 30th, a few years prior. So June, for whatever reason, late June was punk's time, man. And I've always wondered this though, you know, you, you sort of give credit to the WWE brass and say, Hey, they're finally listening to the audience. This win to me felt a little bit like. Hey, we're just doing this to, to have a swerve, to have a surprise to, uh, Hey, nobody's going to see it coming. And I say that because when he defends his title against JBL that night, he doesn't just beat JBL clean. He has some help from John Cena and crime time. And Michael Hayes is even on that same DVD we've referenced saying that a lot of the guys, pe- people in the locker room and the office felt like punk tarnished the championship. And a lot of the maybe uh, elder statesmen in the locker room felt like they were giving him the title too soon or prematurely, or it was the wrong move. So this feels like maybe somebody on the booking or writing team felt like, Hey, they won't see this coming. This is a surprise, but they didn't really take him seriously. And I, and I can support that by saying he loses the belt by not even being in the match. He's supposed to be headlining unforgiven. It's a multi-man match. And Randy Orton and his faction punt CM Punk before the show starts and he drops the title without ever losing it and doesn't even appear in the pay-per-view where he was supposed to be defending his title in the main event. It feels like Punk as a championship is sort of an afterthought. And I think somewhere in here, Triple H was quoted as saying sometimes the, uh, the guy makes the belt and sometimes the belt makes the guy. And in this case, it was maybe neither one. What, what do you think of, um, the way he was booked as champion once he is champion? Cause it doesn't feel like a vote of confidence, at least to me. Yeah. I never heard, uh, uh, uh senior members of the roster complaining about punk in that regard that, that Hayes described. I'm not calling Hayes a liar. Cause I wasn't there. He was, he was embedded in all that, uh, creative writing bullshit, uh, with, all, with those guys. Uh, bottom line is, is that objectivity sometimes is uh, a, a lost, uh, asset within pro wrestling objectivity. It becomes more personal. I just see saw that. I think some of those guys just looked at punk and said, well, he, he doesn't look like us. He's not our, he's not WWE main event material, but to, so your, your question is well put and probably has a great deal of validity to it. Uh, but I say, you know, uh, guys that I never had a talent come to me and say anything about this impassing conversation about punk in a negative way ever. Uh, only a few guys thought his body was not good. Uh, uh, I remember somebody saying, well, his, his ass is too big. His ass is too big and it's too soft. And you know, wh- wh- wait a minute, where are we here? What, is it? what are we doing? The crowd's telling you this guy's over. Our job is to put an ass every 18 inches in the stands. Uh, listen, I can't, I can't not ask this. Who the fuck said his ass is too big? A hunter. Oh my God. Too big. He's got a, uh, this wasn't the, the, uh, the, there's all about the workout shit, man. And how he looked in a, in a, in an eight by 10 or whatever. He's not going to look the same because he's not the same. And if you, if all you're going to do is put out androids all look alike, then what the hell you got? You got no uniqueness. You got no individuality. So that was the whole deal. They, I think that the consensus was 
this guy may not be in great shape because he looks soft. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying that his softness, as far as his ass was concerned or, or that his ass issue, which is a non-issue in my view, uh, was basically based on the fact that the perception was he had a, he had a oversized soft ass silly as it sounds. It's so absurd. It doesn't make any sense. And I swear to God, folks, I'm not making this up, but that's, that was the whole deal. And finally through hell and high water, he, 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 he plowed through this bullshit and became the star that he is. And really, a, a, a he had a hall of fame level career there. There's no doubt about that. Will he ever be in the hall of fame? Uh, I wouldn't want to bet on that one. And I'm not so sure he would even accept it if it was offered. It's, uh, so weird that we're even having conversations like that, but I mean, I guess that's wrestling. Um, Paul- it's, it's show, it's show business, Conrad. It's goddamn show business. And it's unfair to anybody that's being persecuted in that regard. It's not fair. It's being like a bully because you can, you got the stroke. It's not good. And, uh, I just don't like that. Uh, uh, the singling people out in that regard, especially somebody that can go and punk could go. So after he loses the world title, he, um, has to, uh, figure out what's next and what's next is he's going to team with his old pal, Kofi Kingston. They're going to beat Cody Rhodes and Ted DiBiase and become world tag team champions. Um, that doesn't last too terribly long, but eventually he gets a shot at the uh, intercontinental title. He's successful there. He becomes uh, a grand slam winner as a result. And, uh, I mean, I guess, you know, from a historical standpoint, that's kind of cool, but he really starts to make headway at the next WrestleMania when he wins the money in the bank ladder match. Again, he's the first person to win that match twice. And, uh, not too terribly long after this, he's going to cash in to defeat Jeff Hardy to win the world championship right after Hardy had beaten edge in a ladder match. So that happens on June 7th. And now all of a sudden we're trying it again. When you feel, when you see that we're essentially doing a repeat of the old storyline, you know, edge is involved in a world title match. Punk has just won the money in the bank. I mean, and now punk's going to cash in and win the belt. It is an exact retread. Um, did you have higher hopes this time? Did you think maybe this one may go a little better than the first one? It is all going to depend about the politics of the whole scenario. And anytime we talk about CM Punk's career in WWE or wherever it may be, uh, you got to talk about politics because that's what he was the victim of. Uh, and I'm not going to say it was all, we put all of it on WWE because generally when you have that sort of conflict, interpersonal conflict, uh, it takes two to tango to some degree, but I think all in all punk was a uh, overt victim of uh, of unfortunate ill-timed politics in his run at WWE. And despite of all that, in spite of all those pushbacks, look at the run he had that shows you how really, how good he really was. And I think that the original, they're doing that angle over somebody says, well, you know, that was going to work or people, people love the guy and he's got a good, he got a great pop. He gets a great reaction. He's selling lots of merchandise, blah, blah, blah. All the measurables are there. And maybe smoother heads uh, prevailed. I think that even his, his, uh, his, the people that didn't like him, uh, probably started seeing the quality of his matches. And the other thing is, is that when undertaker was very happy to work with punk, 
and to, and to have their program. And they had some really significant matches that told me all I needed to know about Michael's comment, Hayes's comment about a lot of the older talents didn't like the way he treated the belt or whatever it may be. I don't know what the hell that means. You mean allowing the talents to walk out of the, with the belt around their shoulder or around their neck? Oh, no, no. I don't, I don't think he means that. I think, I think the, the idea was that he wasn't, um, what they perceived a champion should be like it may, maybe based, based on what his look. It gotta be right. It's gotta, it's gotta, yeah. be, it's gotta be his look or his presentation or his yeah. demeanor, or I, I don't know. It's just weird that, that so many people are so sort of polarized by him, but he winds up flip-flopping the world title a little bit here with Jeff Hardy. We just covered uh, what happened at the end of uh, SummerSlam 2009. Of course, Jeff Hardy's going to uh, leave for some greener pastures. Punk is going to win the belt back here only to be attacked by the undertaker and, um, uh, he's going to immediately do a loser leaves, uh, the company match with Jeff Hardy somewhere in here, by the way, they had, uh, a, a really cool little piece of business that I don't think a lot of people talk about very much, but we had CM Punk dress up like Jeff Hardy. So he's, he's coming out dressed like Jeff Hardy and dancing like Jeff Hardy and playing Jeff Hardy's music. And it looks and feels like Jeff Hardy, but it's actually CM Punk. And I think that that feud, while it may not have been uh, one that people still talk about to this day, it's probably a little underrated. I, I really enjoyed Jeff Hardy and Matt Hardy together, or Jeff and, and CM Punk here together. Yeah. Good chemistry. They got along. Well, they, they, they fit. There was a, it was a social fit and they, it's, I say that and not with tongue in cheek, but Jeff Hardy was also kind of an outcast. And a lot of that was because of, uh, the perception that Jeff had created for himself of not always making the greatest decisions, et cetera, et cetera. But the irony of that deal too, is that unlike punk, it was very difficult to ever not like Jeff. Jeff was very likable and he felt empathy for him for some of the struggles that he had had, but no one could ever discount his Jeff's ability in the ring. Uh, I love the Hardy boy tag team, but in all due respect to Matt, who I have, who should be a great booker someday or, a, or, a, or administrator. Uh, Jeff was easy to like CM punk personality wise, not so much. There was a difference there, but boy, when they got in the ring, uh, they came together, those diverse personalities and, 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 and made some great music. They were, they, some of the more fun matches we had during that era were, was involving Hardy and, and punk. I, um, I want to talk about the, the, the undertaker feud, because he's going to feud with the undertaker next. He's going to have some pay-per-view matches with him. Uh, he's going to do everything he can to cheat. And, uh, he, he picks up a win uh, and then they, they come back and, and set it up in a hell in a cell match, which I think, uh, has flown below the radar a little bit. And the undertaker is successful, tries a couple of different repeat opportunities, not successful. And then he decides to take a more sinister direction and he starts, um, I don't know. He becomes like a, a cult like leader with the straight edge society. He recruits mm -hmm. Luke gallows and, um, he's going to grow his hair out and he's going to grow his beard out. And, uh, he's going to try to, um, have some planted members of the audience and he's going to convert them to a straight edge lifestyle. And they're going to take a pledge of allegiance to him by shaving their head as a sign of renewal and devotion. This is some good stuff. 
And, and it, it, I don't think anything like this had been done in wrestling. So I, I don't know why this wasn't, um, a bigger part of the presentation, but I think this idea and concept is really, really good. Me too. And the reason I didn't get any more publicity and better positioning was because, uh, it surrounded punk. And again, punk was a, a polarizing figure, uh, in the front office This has been well documented. Uh, I thought that, uh, you know, I remember there when, uh, they shaved the head of uh, Serena, uh, deep. She's very, and by the way, she's really, really talented. I think she's worked with WWE. I think last I heard she was working with WWE as a coach, uh, really talented, uh, had a great, great life story. Now she's resurrected her personal life and, and her professional career as well. So they did good. And then, and that was a big break for gallows, uh, who's now, you know, he's involved with the, uh, uh, with, with the, the not bullet club, but the club and with AJ and, and Carl Anderson and so forth. Uh, but that gave gallows a, a, a pulse and it gave Serena a pulse through, through the vehicle of CM Punk, but it was a very underrated faction. And I remember again, as I said, uh, Serena getting her head shaved on television and that took some, some, I started to say some balls, I guess it took some ovaries, but it was, it was, it was bold, but they all bought into the entire presentation and you can't not respect that. It's just too, they're committed. And I, that's what you'd always look for in that regard, commit commitment. And they had it. Yeah, they definitely had it. And this was uh, a, a fun angle, a fun storyline. And I guess we should mention there is a, a match in here where there's some real stakes where he's trying to recruit Ray Mysterio. Then it becomes a feud with Mysterio and, uh, ultimately punk has to have his head shaven, but he doesn't want to look like one of his followers. So he starts to wear a mask and, uh, eventually he's unmasked. So some old school, fun, silly stuff here. Uh, but I guess we should just skip ahead because the, the real rubber meets the road when punk's contract is about to come due. And, and while he may have been an intercontinental champion and an ECW champion and a tag champion and flip flop the world title a few times. He's just not happy and he feels burnt out and he knows he's not the guy. And on that DVD, we've referenced a few times already today. I mean, triple H basically said he was never positioned as the guy. And it was like, even when we gave you the belt, well, you're not really the guy. We're just going to give this for you a little while. And then we're going to take it back. And unbelievably the creative is, Hey, uh, you get to air your grievances with a live microphone. And that goes down on June 27th, 2011 in Las Vegas. And it's the famous pipe bomb promo and, uh, it gets over so huge. It becomes the most viral thing in wrestling in years. Uh, I mean, years and years. And as a result, the match now at money in the bank has a whole new layer and, uh, they, they build to this for a few weeks. And then the match happens in Chicago money in the bank, 2011. If you're going to watch one match this week to get ready for CM Punk returning to, uh, the wrestling space. You got to watch him in his hometown, defeat John Cena for the world title on his quote unquote last night in the company. Now behind the scenes, I guess at that very event, I believe CM Punk signed a new contract. Is that right? I think so. I think he did. Uh, here's a, the thing about that is that it, it, it speaks to a bigger picture. Why would, if you didn't have complete faith from your boss and your upper management and yourself, why would Lauren Nottis wait till the, till 
the sands of the hourglass are running thin to start negotiations and get this thing signed. It's always going to be about two issues, Conrad cash and creative. Uh, the guy was, was a road hard, put up wet. He hardly ever missed a shot. If he, if he did, I don't recall him, but, uh, th this speaks to his, the lack of respect and confidence that the uh, upper management had in him still after all he had done after working with the undertaker, for example, who had, I don't remember Taker ever having one issue with working with punk, uh, Ray Mysterio had no issues working with punk. So in the video that Hayes is describing a lot of the other guys, a lot of the older veterans didn't like, uh, this or that. I'm not saying again, as I mentioned earlier, I'm not there to hear hey, all these, this dialogue with, with Michael, but I just, I never got that from anybody. I never got it from anybody that I, all I got from anybody negative about CM Punk was that he's a different breed of cat. He's a, he's a, he could be a strange guy. And that's because he was not overly extroverted. He, so in other words, he wasn't fake. He wasn't a sycophant. He was not an ass kisser. And because that was so contrary to the normal behavior of a top guy in any wrestling territory that I've ever been in any of them, that he was just a different breed of cat and folks did not know how to deal with him. And, uh, simple as that bad communication. And, uh, he didn't have the support in the front office that he should have had. And that's, that's really, really sad. It is sad. Um, but he, he, he makes the most of it here because he gets over like nobody's business and yep. he becomes as a result of this, uh, five-star match and this performance here at money in the bank, the hottest, I mean, seriously, the hottest name in wrestling and, uh, not too terribly long after winning the belt, he makes a surprise appearance at the San Diego comic con and, um, they've booked this and presented this like. Uh, he's no longer under contract, but he is the champion and he's left with the belt and he's name dropping. Hey, I might go to new Japan. Hey, I might go to ring of honor. This added a layer of realism and intrigue that hasn't existed in not just WWE, but wrestling in years at this point. And again, a lot of that was his idea. A lot of that was his execution. All was all the execution was all him. And sometimes that will alienate one from the, the very, uh, sensitive writing team, their idea got shit on, or their idea got improved immensely by the letting the talent have input, which should be ongoing with every talent on the roster or anybody's company, AEW included, uh, you know, the talents have got to like junkyard dog used to say, don't, don't come to, don't come to the, the arena, like a cabbage, all head, and no rear end. You gotta have ideas and you gotta pitch the ideas. And you can't be BS. I gave the comparison earlier of punk and Austin still think folks go see that video, find it 2k Austin and, and punk. You'll love it. And you'll wish you, we, you'll, you'll all, let's make it Jones for the match, quite frankly, but it'll also show how good they were. But that punk was a lot like Austin in that regard. You couldn't be BS. He knew what a good angle was. He knew what a good storyline was that fit him. And, uh, so I, I that was, that was, a. Uh, that was the same, same situation there with him. He, he just was a, a, a guy that knew what he needed to do to get over and guys like that. You let them write their own music, man. They're going to sing it. They're going to perform it. Let them have some hand in, in writing their music. And, uh, finally, I think, uh, WWE, maybe by accident, I'm not even sure. 
or maybe they thought it wouldn't get over. Let's just let him bury himself. I don't have no idea, but it worked. He got over and he, and he was like, you said, Conrad at one time, CM Punk was without a doubt, the hottest talent in all of pro wrestling in any continent, anywhere, any promotion. He was the guy for a good period of time. And as a administrator, as a responsible administrator, how do you ignore that? How do you ignore that when they're having a problem as it is, as, as do most wrestling companies and getting talents over to that star level where they're, they are at the top of the card, you know, name before the title type guy. And he was that guy. And it just, it just was like an act of God to get him to get that recognized. Of course, in storyline, they're going to, um, decide that, Hey, punk's no longer with us. We're going to crown a new champion. And, and of, of course, uh, they decide to have an undisputed championship match when John Cena is going to defend his world title against CM Punk and his world title at SummerSlam. Punk wins the match, but then immediately loses it to Alberto Del Rio because Alberto is going to cash in. And uh, a returning Kevin Nash is here to attack CM Punk on behalf of Triple H. And uh, after SummerSlam, that becomes. You know, the new direction punk is accusing Nash of conspiring with triple H to keep punk away from the title and during their verbal back and forths. And there were some memorable moments on TV. Uh, we would hear Kevin Nash demean the, the look. And I think at one point Nash referred to, uh, said that CM punk looked like someone who worked the third shift at the waffle house. Um, <laughs> well, that's echoing, it's echoing the sentiments of of Nash's buddies, so, uh, HVK and triple H they're following the reality. They're, tr- they're trying to follow the storyline the, the, in the reality of the situation is now being turned into a storyline. I applaud them for that, quite frankly. Uh, and, but I think I also acknowledge when Kevin did that, okay, we know this guy's a player. Now we didn't like him. We, we may never like him, but he got over and as a responsible entrepreneur, uh, independent contractor guy, I need to work with this cat cause it's going to increase my pay. We're going to draw more money. I'll make more money on the payoffs, blah, blah, blah. So, uh, to me, it was a, a sign of acceptance to a large degree when Nash got involved uh, as the, uh, the beard, so to speak of, of uh, triple H and Shawn Michaels to a lesser degree. Eventually we know that punk is going to be cemented as the tippy top guy, and he's going to have an incredible run with the world title 434 days along the way. He's going to brush up against uh, a lot of the top guys, whether it's Daniel Bryan or it's Kane or it's Chris Jericho or it's triple H, uh, you know, whoever it may be, but, um, something that we haven't really talked about on any of my podcasts is when, um, he has a, a feud with Ryback and Ryback is on quite the tear. And, uh, a lot of people assume with his new streak that they're, they're priming him for something. And punk calls in, uh, a trio of guys to help him retain the title and hand Ryback the loss. And he's got, a, he's got a crooked referee along the way, but he's also got some help from this new outfit called the shield. And I think in punk's history, maybe that's that piece is overlooked because obviously the shield are held in such high regard now, but they were introduced as in, in an effort to help CM punk and allegedly one of the original ideas for the shield. And I believe this is 
according to the legend, according to the rumor and innuendo, who, who punk wanted to be the shield were Seth Rollins, who was a former ring of honor standout as Tyler black, Dean Ambrose, who was a former CZW indie sensation, uh, John Moxley and his old pal who he toured all the indies with and had not just 60, but 90 minute broadways with Chris hero. WWE likes this idea, but deviates and decides not to go with Chris hero, who we know is Cassius Ono and NXT and instead slots Roman reigns. What a, what a, what a tangled web we weave. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, uh, poor Chris hero. Who's a hell of a worker, a hell of a talent really is. And a great guy. Uh, he got, he got, uh, he basically got fat shamed as well. He may, he may have been another one of those guys that had too big a soft ass. I'm not sure, but his work was uh, amazing. And I, one of my favorite guys to call matches for is Chris hero, solid citizen, but it, the body, the, 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 uh, DNA was not good. Much like in the eyes of some much like uh, punks. Uh, yeah, that that's a significant deal, man. Cause punk basically gave the endorsement. So all those fans that love or loving punk and loving his act and the music, the presentation, the whole nine yards. Now they get to, sh- they can, he can give the rub, the rub very important. CM punk gave the rub to the shield and all those guys, you know, Moxley and AEW now huge get for uh, Tony Khan and, and company. Uh, golly, Roman reigns, you know, he's they're They're doing all they can to get Roman reigns at the top of the card and keep him there. And of course, now you get Seth Rollins, who's the champion and, uh, universal champion beats Brock Lesnar twice in the same year. And maybe his most significant accomplishment is that he just got engaged to Becky Lynch, which I found was interesting that they went so public with that on, uh, almost like a wrestling angle. And sometimes you can't tell a fact from fiction in these scenarios anymore with the internet as it is, but congratulations to, uh, to Becky and, and Seth on their engagement. Uh, and, uh, but that's another story for another time, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it was the shields. See, I, for, uh, if you don't go back and research it, folks, you forget some of these little, uh, nuances and this is not little, it's a big nuance. So the shield got brought into the game by CM punk and they have made the most of their opportunities without a doubt. So. Hope those guys don't forget where they came from in that regard, because punk was instrumental and in giving them credibility. We should mention that, uh, not just old anybody ends CM Punk's historic run. I think, uh, the 380 day John Cena run was the longest of that era, but we know punk's going to go 434. And when it finally ends, the person it ends to is the fucking rock. And if you're going to lose the belt to somebody, <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, come on, losing it to the rock, not the, not the worst thing in the world. Uh, March of 2013 though, he sets his sights on something else. I think the, uh, rumor and innuendo is that he felt like he deserved the WrestleMania main event for a long time and may have taken it personally when the Miz got that shot. And then when the rock got that shot and it was announced a year out and it feels like he's sort of being boxed out, but in 2013, he gets a pretty cool consolation prize. I suppose he's going to be in there with the undertaker. And this is before the undertaker streak was no Moss. And it happened at a time when Paul bear had recently passed away and they did some interesting stuff here that, uh, still stands up today where punk is running around with the urn 
And this time, instead of it just being the undertaker's mythical urn, it's got the ashes of Paul bear and, and, and sort of the go home episode of Monday night raw for WrestleMania punk dresses as one of the Druids attacks the undertaker and then dumps Paul bears ashes on the undertaker and then bathes in Paul bears ashes himself. Some really over the top stuff, but some good stuff. Indeed. A heel. He's, he was a villain. He was doing things to make us, uh, in a negative light, uncomfortable. And it all tied into the storyline. And, uh, he was a, a punk had no issues, even though he was, I'm sure the guy liked the money he's making on his merchandise and, and his t-shirts are selling like crazy because he had that cult following. And, uh, but man, the, him being a heel with this Paul bear angle was spot on. He was committed to make for people to dislike him in a strong enough way where the great goal of any heel folks, any heel, if you really want to say you're a great villain, then you must check some boxes. In other words, are you good enough that the fans will invest their money to load those snotty nosed kids up in a car and take them to the arena to watch you get your ass beat. Great heels have always had that one common denominator. They have the ability to, to sell tickets for people to come see them, get their ass whipped and humbled, embarrassed. And that was punk had no problem filling that role. And then he, he does all this dastardly shit to, to, to take her that leads into WrestleMania 29, which is the big, you know, the big event in, in, in New Jersey at MetLife stadium. So, uh, I remember that show because I was on the pregame panel with, uh, Scott Stanford, Kofi Kingston, the American dream and myself. That was my assignment for that WrestleMania and that, uh, doing the pregame and, uh, some postgame stuff, whatever it was. Uh, so I didn't get a great chance to see all the matches because of our vantage point. Uh, but it was, it was phenomenal. He was a great heel and taker had no issues working with him. And obviously when we're talking again about these, these guys, uh, that are not liking punks, this or that, and the other, I don't, I didn't hurt any issues about rock working with him. No rock wanted to work with him because hunt, uh, punk was red hot. And he, and if you're going to get a win, you want to beat somebody and for rock to beat a punk was showed that the great one was beating somebody. It was a perfect booking in that respect. And so I, that's why I questioned the validity of these, these blanket statements that, you know, the talents didn't like punk. They like working with him. They may not want to travel with him. They might not, they may have thought he was too straight edge. I don't know, but nobody in the right mind could ever say that, well, I don't want to work at punk. He's not that good a worker then you're full of shit. You got an ego that's bigger than you need to have. So why would you want to work with the hottest guy in the territory? Maybe in the world would be beyond me. And that's, and Taker saw that he's smart. He's objective. It was, it was good for the title. It was good for the guy had a good match. And, uh, it was just a, to me, that was, that was the validation of how great punk was, was to have uh, more than one match with the arguably the greatest star over time. The WWE has ever had, and maybe ever will have in the undertaker and, and Mark Calloway, the undertaker was very happy to step in there and do their thing with punk. They danced well together. We should mention that, uh, the, the only thing left for punk here to do now that the world title is no more. And he's finished with his undertaker business, uh, is to 
break up with, uh, Paul Heyman, his longtime confidant. And of course we know that Brock Lesnar is also a Paul Heyman guy. So, uh, that becomes the issue and Paul Heyman turns his back on CM Punk. CM Punk becomes the baby face and he's going to target some of Heyman's other clients, including the intercontinental champion, Curtis Axel. That was like a hundred years ago. Yeah. Uh, they would ultimately get a hell in a cell match where, uh, Heyman has to, uh, suffer a few minutes of punishment at the hands of CM Punk. And he's going to start a feud with the Wyatt family and form an alliance with Daniel Bryan, which is kind of fun, but it's not too terribly long before it's Royal rumble time. And, uh, he's not feeling good. He's not in good physical condition. He's, uh, beat uh, down. He's beat down and wore out and burned out. And he finds out that WrestleMania in 2014, once again, he's not going to be in the main event. Instead, it's going to feature Batista and that's enough for him. So on the January 27th episode of raw, he, uh, lets Vince McMahon and triple H know that he's going home. Yeah. And, uh, I think Vince McMahon in February would tell, uh, listeners on the investors conference call that he was taking a sabbatical. Famously, he gets his release on uh, the same day he's getting married and, uh, around November, I guess, Thanksgiving sometime in there, he appears on Colt Cabana's art of wrestling podcast and the internet melts down. He tells, uh, the, the entire story of why he left, what led to him leaving. Uh, he's very critical of the WWE's medical staff. He takes a couple of shots at Ryback. Uh, he is just not happy and, and happy to have wrestling in the rear view mirror decides to try his hand at uh, MMA. And I think most people know he had a fight in the UFC with Mickey gall and he had a second match. He wasn't successful in either one of those, but a lot of kudos to a guy who really didn't have a, a mixed martial arts background and, and, and is coming from the world of sports entertainment and decides to forego millions of dollars and try his hand at something totally new yep. and, and put himself out there on the big stage. And I know a lot of, uh, punk haters have been critical and said, oh, he should have had to work his way up and he should have had to fight on the smaller shows, but because yeah. of his name, UFC saw money in this guy as well. They should have, because he brought a lot of interest to those shows and it's, uh, it's something he still has a passion for now. He's doing commentary. For, he's good at it and he's good at it. He's he, a, he's a hell of a broadcaster and he's good at it because he has the ability to communicate and he has the one thing that all these color guys have got to have is a committed, uh, relationship with a genre where you you encourage yourself to have, to obtain all the, uh, product knowledge that you can possibly muster. The one thing I will say, I've got this a lot, but what did, did, did CM Punk not deserve to be in a WrestleMania main event? Well, you know, I, I take exception to that because I think he was in WrestleMania main events. Anytime you wrestle the undertaker at WrestleMania Conrad with that streak on the line, that was a, that's a main event level match. Now, if your only criteria that there could only be one main event at WrestleMania, and that's, it's gotta be by, uh, just osmosis the last match of the night, that's the only main event. And I don't, I don't agree with that, uh, philosophy. Uh, so to say that CM Punk never headlined a WrestleMania, I, I argue that point because I will tell you that I believe, and I was one of those fans 
that one of the main reasons I was excited about that WrestleMania, uh, with undertaker and punk was that match to me, it had more sizzle, more mystique. It was more compelling than anything else booked on the card. Now, if it, going on last is your only criteria, then, then so be it. That's your philosophy, not mine. I think he was in WrestleMania main events. And I think he was in WrestleMania main event with the most respected guy on the roster and the undertaker. And I can promise you that if the undertaker had not wanted to work with punk, then he would not, he would not have been forced to do so. So I, I some of those things I were, I take a little exception to, but he'd not working in WrestleMania main event, but you're right. If you're only, like I said, if your only criteria is going on last, then you, you make your point, but I don't agree with it. Well, what we can all agree on is that CM Punk is back in wrestling. You can yeah. also catch him, uh, as we mentioned, doing commentary for cage fury fighting championships, the CFFC. You can see that on UFC fight pass. I think he just did his, uh, his first show last year and I think he did one a, a few weeks ago. So he's pretty active there. You can also probably uh, catch him at a Chicago sports game. He's a Blackhawks fan, a Cubs fan. And, uh, he's a big comic book dude. So you never know when you might see him around there. You can also see him on the big screen. I think he's got the girl on the third floor and rabid two movies coming out this year. So he stayed busy for a guy who's quote unquote retired, huh? Absolutely. And the other thing too, about post wrestling relationships, sometimes they're a little tepid. Sometimes they're fragile and they can become hostile. Uh, and he has had a successful marriage, uh, to his lovely little wife. And, uh, I, I just think that's a, that's a, that's somewhat of an accomplishment because the spotlight ended for, you know, uh, she wrote a great book, uh, quite frankly. And, uh, I think the, I think they've done really well. He's, his acting has been good. He's, he's very, he's, a, he's almost like a Renaissance guy. And maybe that was one of his issues because so many guys in wrestling, they're one dimensional. They right. live for, uh, the, 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 you know, they, they, they live for the, the moment they live for, uh, the spotlight. And when the spotlight subsides, it can have an adverse effect on one's relationship and, uh, and the one's personality, especially if you you were the primary guy or girl and both, uh, he and his wife are big time stars. So, uh, I, I, uh, I, I think he said he's had a good life. Uh, I think the fans going to love uh, what he's going to do at Starcast three, no doubt about that. Uh, just a, a, a Renaissance guy, man. And, 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 and look, as somebody says, well, is he gonna get back in wrestling? I don't think the guy will ever wrestle again. Not I, and I would like to, I'd love to be wrong, but if he did wrestle again, the best I could see it being would be a one off. Now I have, would have no issues. Him having a one-off in AEW, obviously, tongue in cheek here, uh, be great. Is it going to happen? Don't look for it to happen, but I'd love for it to. And knowing him as as uh, how he works, how his mind works, it's hard to say that he would never do it. But I just don't think it's very likely. Let's talk a little bit about uh, what the fans want to know from you, Jim. We asked you on social media at Jr. Grilling. Hey, do you have some questions about CM Punk for Jim Ross? If you'd like to participate in the conversation any week here on the show, just follow us on Twitter at Jr. Grilling. Jim, we've got some good questions here. I'm going to hit you with them rapid fire. Are you ready? Yes, sir. 
Uh, let's get started with a great one. This is from chance. Do you think CM Punk reached his full potential in WWE? No, I think it's, I think he should have been uh, no, I don't. So answer your questions or answers. No. Uh, I think that under a different mindset and a different communication, communication had been better. There was much more that he could do. Uh, when he left, he was young, right in the prime, the, the sweet spot of his career. So I don't think he realized his potential there whatsoever. And now he's 40. So, you know, father time doesn't do any jobs. He just doesn't, he, he goes over every time. So I don't know the ship may have sailed for CM Punk at 40 to have many more matches, but that's why I say, if we have one long shot at best, it'll be a one-off, but I don't think he reaches full potential whatsoever in WWE. Fight fans of the UK want to know where would punk have been in terms of top guys during the attitude era? I know the business was different, but would he have been the number three guy behind rock and Austin or would he have still been maybe number five behind triple H and mankind? Well, I don't know exactly what the number would be, uh, but he would be, have been a major player. He would have been a main event guy. Punk would have been a guy that would be working matches with Austin and, and rock and triple H and Shawn Michaels, all those guys, Mick Foley, all those guys, he would fit right into that uh, mix very comfortably, uh, during the attitude era. He may have been better suited. He meaning punk punk may have been better suited in WWE during the attitude era than he was by coming in in 2005. Uh, Travis wants to know on a previous episode, JR, I've heard you say that it's always better to converse with Vince rather than confront Vince. Uh, my question is CM Punk always had stories of him complaining to creative. Do you think this contributed to him not being a top guy sooner? I guess the question is, did punk have the wrong approach maybe for creative or for Vince specifically? Might have, uh, might have, he, I think what punk wanted was the same thing that every other talent on the roster should want that many do want. Some will admit it. Some will not. And that is to have a positive, uh, open relationship with Vince. Uh, so you can communicate with him. I don't know that punk would have adhered to my uh, mantra of, uh, converse and don't conf confront. I don't know that. Uh, but the key to a top guy in WWE then now and forever as the slogan goes is get along and, and can be able to communicate with Vince. And then you have, if you have issues with the writers and some of the talents didn't respect the writers because of their overt and an obvious lack of product knowledge and the writers trying to portray that they know about the intricacies of the business and you should be using this hole or you should be doing that finish or whatever. Uh, are you, really? Are you serious? You know, uh, you need to be writing limericks or something because, you know, we all know that our favorite t-shirt is going to be your testicles won't fit into a thimble or they, your testicles will fit into a thimble, thimble nuts. Thimble nuts. Uh, there you go. Tom, yeah. Thomas has a question here that we got a lot and I feel like we should address it. Everybody wants to know, Hey, is CM Punk going to run in at all out? Uh, the answer is no, I, I'm not involved in the booking at all, but I know that I get this question all the time and, and JR, you know, the truth, but people are like. Oh, we know you work for AW. No, I don't folks. And, and this booking and Jim, you can confirm this. At least this was not a piggyback booking. This was a standalone booking. It's not like, right. Hey, you're coming in for all out. You might as well come over for Starcast. That's not the way this went down. So he's no. not going to be at all out. I, I, if he, if, if CM punks at all out in any shape, form or fashion, hidden in a, he won't be hidden in the crowd. 
Uh, I don't think he'll be backstage. He might be, I don't have any idea, but my guess would be, I bet my, my best black hat that he will not be in a AEW ring or anybody else's ring, uh, anytime. I think he's done with that aspect of it, but again, wishful thinking and being hopeful and being honest. You know, I can tell you, Conrad is not an AEW employee. Conrad does not work for AEW. Uh, Conrad Starcast event is his deal. And it's Conrad that got CM Punk to come out of the house and come down and, and do this show this Saturday. That was Conrad's deal. Uh, but to tell you what's going to happen at AEW, you know, God, I don't, Hey, I don't even know the order of the matches. Right. Uh, so we don't, it's a funny thing. You get to a certain part of your life. I don't need to know all this data. Conrad, Conrad's got no use for it. What's going to happen on the, on the, on, uh, all out at the, no. on the pay-per-view. He don't, it's not his deal and I can't control it. So why am I going to worry about it? Well, I'm just saying from an, my instinctual stance would be, we will not see CM Punk Saturday night. But you can see him Saturday afternoon. Johnny Luchador writes in, as far as a financial standpoint, punk used licensed music, his entire WWE run, be it kill switch engage or living color. Uh, how do royalties work on licensed music being used for a performer? Is there a sort of tug of war with talent when it comes to trying to use specific music? Well, uh, WWE has got a guy named Neil Lowry who handles all their music and has great relationships with several, uh, uh, artists, writers, producers, record labels, et cetera, et cetera. And getting a song, uh, played regularly in a positive manner on WWE is a great marketing boost for the act. If we talk about cult of personality, uh, as we started to while ago, uh, that's, a uh, that, that they weren't getting, where you didn't hear that song a lot. You heard it. You used to hear it some. They resurrected that music and that band, uh, and made them have some relevancy. So, uh, you pay a, I, I, as I understand it and recall, uh, the WWE would pay a flat fee, uh, to, to license the music, uh, for the, for the CM Punk character. And sometimes they have a, a, a end date where you can use it, you know, for a year or two years. Most of the often it's just, you're just licensed. They get a, the, the artist gets a one-time fee. They get paid a nice check to use their music. And then their music gets amazing, uh, exposure on global television. So that's kind of how that works. It was, a, it, and it also showed this, you know, I, I've done a, uh, probably a disservice to WWE in certain ways about how they handle CM Punk. I didn't think it was great. Uh, be that as it may, you know, it is what it is. Uh, but they, you gotta say that they went to the wall on this, that this music license thing was not cheap. That was a big time investment to get him the music that CM Punk wanted that would fit his persona. So that was a big commitment by WWE that they're not going to get credit for that by anybody that doesn't like them or anybody that thinks that they're CM Punk devotee and they're not going to, they really screwed him around. I don't think they, I don't think that they did him justice and, and oftentimes, but on the other sides of the coin, here's the thing. CM Punk became famous in WWE. CM Punk became a millionaire in WWE. Uh, and he, and he had great identity name identity to get the USC gig, which was a lifelong dream for him. Uh, he's got a name identity to get himself into movies, television shows. And the fact that he can do this MMA color analyst stuff was also to me, uh, originated because of the, again, the name identity and, and WWE. So WWE didn't do a total disservice to CM Punk whatsoever, but there were situations along the way 
that could have been much better and it could have resulted a longer lasting run that uh, we, many of us wish would have happened. Landon wants to know with so many estranged talents that have made their way home to WWE, even though it took years for guys like Brett and the ultimate warrior and Bruno San Martino, do you think punk's legacy is that he will forever be the exception to that? Or could he eventually mend fences and be on good terms with WWE? Anybody can mend fences. If they, if both parties choose to, to interact in that manner, I don't see, uh, it happening that he'll reconcile with WWE. I think that bridge has not only been burnt, been blown up. Uh, but to say the bridge can't be rebuilt at some point in time, if all the, if all the, uh, uh, cards are in in place, what if WWE does a pay-per-view in Chicago, let's say, or let's say they do uh, WrestleMania in Chicago, how perfect would it be for him to go in the hall of fame with that WrestleMania? Oh yeah. It'd be huge. And it's a great booking. It's market savvy and market sound. Great promotion. So that could happen. I just don't see either party going out of their way to reconcile for that night for the WWE hall of fame. Cause I don't know that funk believes that being in the hall of fame is going to soothe or solve any of his past issues with the company. And unfortunately that's the way it, what it is. He, he's a hall of fame guy. Anybody that if you have to have a debate to see him punk deserve to go in the WWE hall of fame based on who all's in it already. Uh, are you kidding? Of course he's, he deserves it. That, that we, we mentioned Connor, he hit her on the head 400 and some days as a top guy in the territory. Right. When does that happen last? You know, that's, that's the, that Bruno era. That's the Bruno Backlund. Uh, well, in, in typical petty WWE fashion, they had Brock beat it. So, you know, it's whatever. Hey, I do want to ask you, this is a great question from, um, let me see if I can get the name here. Chuzzler. He says, why did triple H bury CM Punk at every turn? He was red hot after the pipe bomb. And then triple H's buddy Nash costs him the title. He never gets even with him. And then triple H comes out of semi-retirement beats punk and Nash, and then goes right back into semi-retirement. Who did this help? What's the point? Great question. I don't know who it helped. And the point was personal, personal issues, overriding, uh, logical common sense business. And that's the personality side of pro wrestling. It triple H does not have the exclusive on those type matters. It's just the fact that he's very, very visible. He has a lot of influence. Uh, and that's simple how it is. Uh, I don't know that if triple H was in the position now, then that he, he is now, I think he would look at CM Punk entirely differently, quite frankly, because as a booker creator, whatever, uh, top administrator of, your, of a brand, like he is triple H is with NXT, you don't cut your nose off to spite your face. You have to learn to work with people. And as Vince, I'm sure Vince has told triple H this. He's told me plenty, plenty of times, and any of the guys that are listening, we have a lot of WWE people listen to our show, uh, and a lot of former agents and so forth. You in WWE, you have to learn to like the taste of shit because as an administrator, you're constantly in a position of eating shit to get the match in the ring and taking care of these talents. And in today's world and in a big picture scenario, I got to believe that triple H would covet. CM Punk because he's uh, hey how, here's the deal how do you think that the NXT would do in the ratings if they had a debut of CM Punk back on NXT on Wednesday nights is that a get 
goddamn right it's a get. That's a, that's a big challenge to overcome. So I think the, the, the logic used back then is different. The maturity, everybody's matured more. Uh, and in the big picture sense, uh, you can't get enough CM punks on your roster in my, in my opinion. We've got, you know, a lot of people are talking about this and Francis gets straight to the point. Uh, he says, why do you think in your own opinion, they never put CM Punk in a WrestleMania main event. And, and I think he asked this because we've heard other people say that when Vince looks at a WrestleMania main event, he, he sort of imagines what it would look like on a poster. And for whatever reason, maybe he never saw CM Punk on the, on the WrestleMania poster. Uh, maybe there's something to that, but like I said, my, my, my answer to that is like I said earlier, anytime a, a talent wrestles the undertaker at WrestleMania, and especially when the streak was in place, that's why I hated to see, uh, Blazer beat undertaker at WrestleMania back when he did. I don't know. I don't know what that meant. I really don't. Other than it's, it's a good win for that night, but the everlasting effect of undertaker's unbeaten streak was much more valued than him losing to Brock Lesnar. Uh, in my opinion, maybe I'm wrong. Um, so I, I, uh, like Danny, Danny has a question. He says, it seems like in 2013, WWE was hell bent on rock Cena two at mania, regardless of how hot punk was. Do you think it was a mistake not to do a three way instead? <sighs> it's hard to say that rock and Cena was not a good booking because I, I, I believe that it was. But putting CM Punk as a wild card, uh, figuratively and literally in that match probably would not be a bad idea in hindsight. But, uh, again, the political favor, the political climate, it's like the bullshit of listening to the news, you know, where the left side of the aisle, the right side of the aisle, I say to hell with the aisle. I'm tired of the aisle. I don't want to talk about the aisle. So Punk was, he wasn't, he was on the wrong side of the aisle. And, uh, for whatever reason, good, better, and different as we talked about, but yeah, the triple threat match probably would have been, a, it probably would have made more people happy and probably it might've drawn more people to the match because you, you kind of know what you're going to get with rock and Cena. Uh, but punk is a wild card and you know, you go with all these things that punk going to shock the world and end up beating two of the WWE's greatest stars ever in one match. Much like Jericho did that one night when he beat rock and, or excuse me, Austin and triple H. Yeah, it was rock and Austin. Yeah. You had it right. Vengeance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, so it was a lot of ways to look at it, but he, he just, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I think he's, a, it's just a sad, it shows you how politics can affect the business. And most guys, if they're not named CM Punk and they're making seven figures a year, plus plus are going to do what they got to do to reconcile. They're going to do what they have to do to, to uh, swallow that bitter pill of uh, getting more, uh, you know, embraced by the upper management. That's not him. He, he, he wasn't going to be bluffed. He wasn't going to be threatened or we're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to lose this great gig. You got here that you worked for, you know, you wrestled for 15 years to get there. It's not an overnight sensation. He wrestled for little or nothing and some, and some, little and nothing buildings and arenas, a few people there. He did everything. He paid all his dues. That's what I never understood about guys that would have any animosity toward a guy because he, uh, he, he likely paid more dues than me and the guys that we had on a roster. 
let me ask a question here that is, is maybe one of the better ones that we'll cover. Cause I know you're going to have a hot take here. Chainsaw chambers, 97 writes, do you think CM Punk missed his window to come back to wrestling? Did his UFC de- defeats hurt his drawing power? Now it feels like if he comes back now, it would be cool. But if it was a few years ago before the fights, his appearance would have been earth shattering because it wouldn't have been expected. And maybe some of the shine wouldn't have been lost as it may have been. in those UFC losses. I don't see the uh, UFC losses being a, a, a anti shine ingredient. Uh, it showed that he has balls and courage and, and, uh, the, the passion to fight and for real, uh, and to try to, in his, in that stage of life to learn a whole new skill set and a whole new business that ain't easy to learn and is very, very dangerous and physical. Uh, to me, he got more respect out of training and fighting than he would have, if he had not d- trained and fought, even though he lost two fights, uh, it didn't seem to hurt Brock, Brock Lesnar, you know, uh, uh, Brock Lesnar lost some big fights in UFC. He won some too. That's the difference. And he was also the heavyweight champion. Get that. But I think this losing in a UFC fight, uh, has little to do with the success or failure of, uh, of a wrestling talent. It just, it's a different, just a whole different ball game, quite frankly. So, uh, getting him back, uh, anytime him being punk, getting him back on the, on TV in a WWE ring would be a hit five years ago, uh, five days from now. Saturday night, whenever it may be, get into a wrestling ring, uh, would be a huge hit. The world wants to see him fight again in a wrestling ring. And I think we're going to hear that and we're going to see that and feel that passion, uh, at, uh, at Starcast on Saturday afternoon. One last question made the news last week. It came out in the observer. Um, what we do know now is that is interesting is that CAA, which represents punk and also represents WWE has had an agent reach out to Fox head honchos about punk as a co-host of the upcoming new FS one talk show from a WWE standpoint. My gut is they would hate this idea. He'd be working for Fox, not WWE. And we're told there've been no negotiations at all regarding that. And the impression is WWE wouldn't like it, but things change daily. It's only something punk's agent brought up and not anything that it's clear punk himself wanted. Although he has seemingly been looking into commentary and is doing lower level MMA commentary right now. So the idea that his agent maybe reached out to the Fox folks about him doing commentary. What do you think? You think there's a future in CM Punk, the wrestling commentator? Absolutely. Yeah. He's, he's a communicator. He's good, good verbal skills, articulate intelligent and has again, product knowledge. So absolutely. He's got a bright future in broadcasting. Uh, I also had that op- I had an opportunity to join Fox on, uh, when they get smacked down on a weekly show, uh, in a studio, but you know, I, I already made a commitment. I, I, I signed at, with Tony Khan and AEW, uh, which eliminated that opportunity. But I, I had the top guy there, uh, extended that opportunity. And it just, you know, I never talked about it a lot because it just never happened. But, uh, I think that Fox is going to have a bigger say in SmackDown's presentation and a bigger say in the sound of the show than any other partner WWE has ever had. And I'll go to the, to the extreme that 
the guys that we hear now broadcasting SmackDown may not necessarily be the same people that are broadcasting SmackDown uh, come October. So uh, I expect a lot of changes afoot, but if I'm Fox, CM Punk will bring ratings and he'll be compelling and interesting. Uh, I think he'd be great in the studio there. And I would love to be in that studio cast with him on a weekly basis. Cause I think the dialogue has been very sharp and, 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 and interesting. Uh, but again, uh, I, I signed with AEW and I'm no regrets whatsoever, but, uh, I would I'd strongly encourage the Fox guys and I'm going to see them soon in September. Uh, I'm going to meet with Fox uh, and have some social time during the UCLA OU weekend in LA. Uh, but it has nothing to do with wrestling. It's just a personal situation. So, uh, yeah, he, I, if I were Fox, I'd hire him in a heartbeat. If you can afford him and he's willing to do it because it's every week trip to LA, uh, I'd, I'd jump all over that deal because he will bring ratings to your, to the TV. And some of that stuff he does may be more compelling than the recent, than the SmackDown at times. So I just think there's going to be a lot of changes there in that presentation. And I think he would fit very well in it because he would not have to deal with the WWE directly whatsoever. He'd be dealing with Fox and Fox would produce the show and format the show. Uh, and I believe that the Fox, as I said, and, and the WWE guys, went, oh, they ain't going to have an audit. JR don't know what he's talking about. Well, okay. All I know is that they got a billion dollars in the skin of the game. You think they're not going to have a say in what they, what you present on a television show? Because the guys at Fox have great product knowledge. They're intelligent. They understand wrestling. They understand marketing. Uh, and they, they understand what they have with that brand and that, that, that genre. So, yeah, I, I think that there's going to be a lot of changes. And one of the ones I would certainly consider if I were them. And if asked, I would say that. They're hearing it right now because all those guys listen to this podcast. Uh, my friends listen to this podcast. And they hiring CM Punk for that studio show would be a hit. No doubt about it. I hope he, I hope he gets a gig. Well, we, we know he's got a gig this weekend. You don't want to miss it. And we'll be back next Thursday and every Thursday right here on grilling Jr. with the voice of wrestling, Jim Ross. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.